With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you this uh, Monday morning, the start of uh, a fresh week and uh, a lot of good sport to look forward to, but a lot of great sport to look back on too over the weekend, so we shall be doing that. Uh, first of all, we'll start with uh, Mark Hinton, of course, Stuff senior rugby writer. Uh, on his assessment, I know he had uh, articles uh, hot off the press pretty much straight after uh, the game the other night, so good to catch up uh, with Mark. He's usually a panellist, but we've gone uh, longer with him this morning. Uh, and then after uh, 10 o'clock, we've got uh, Brett Phillips. Uh, Brett's uh, SEN tennis commentator from across the Tasman. Quite pertinent that uh, we uh, talk to him because, uh, yep, Nick Kyrgios is still in the men's singles, and uh, Australia are doing quite well, actually, across the board, men's and women's. Uh, the panel will be Brad Lewis and Guy Havelt this morning. We'll look back at uh, the, the sport over the weekend with those two guys. Uh, Honey Hiramia Smiler. Well, Honey Hiramia Smiler will be with us after 11 o'clock. And the reason why, uh, Honey made uh, a bit of history yesterday when she uh, commentated an NRL game for the first time, full, full commentary um, from a woman, I believe, anyway, uh, looking back on uh, the history of that. So, uh, Plus, she was also at the rugby Saturday night working for Sky as well. So, really busy weekend. We'll talk to Honey about that. Just uh, fantastic. Uh, and then we'll have a stump smithy. I think we've got 100 bucks to play with uh, this morning, so we'll, we'll look forward to that. Uh, and your calls after 9.30. Your calls after 9.30. We shall solicit them just before the news. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, we usually reserve this slot on a Monday morning to whinge about something, Monday-itis I call it, and often it's about refereeing, but not today. Twice last week we had overseas UK to be precise referees in control of important occasions. Two top games of rugby, no cards, good flow, clear and concise rulings. The processes were observed every now and then, there was a delay, but by and large the right outcome resulted. They were in control, but not obtrusive in any way, shape or manner. And so we remember the game and the players and the quality and ain't that grand, as the visitors would say. Hats off to Wayne Barnes and to Carl Dixon. Long may you stay in charge. And how about that all-black goal line D? That remarkable goal line defence on four or five occasions, scrambling at its best and ruthless finishing when the chance was provided. Classy night all round. Even getting out of Eden Park seemed easier than normal. And that is saying something. And if the All Blacks defence was pretty resolute, how about those almighty warriors keeping those menacing West Tigers trialless for the entire 80? A sight to behold even more impressive than the sellout itself. They fronted and they fronted. 1,000 plus days away, 26,000 welcome homes. And on a decent Auckland afternoon, it was spectacular. Matt Lodge, who? Nathan Brown, who? 
It was the weekend that promised. It was the weekend that could have easily fallen on its proverbial, but it didn't. Absolutely to script. Well, despite all the uh, disruptions to the All Black preparations uh, last week, the first Test match was uh, a pretty damned impressive performance. 42-19 to 19 for the men in black, and uh, they continue their 45 wins, two draws uh, since losing to France way back in 1994. Uh, Eden Park has just been a fortress for them, and it just seems impregnable once more. Senior players stood up, the coaching reinforcements arrived, and now they have a flattering scoreline to look back on, as we do with uh, senior stuff uh, sports writer Mark Hinton. Uh, Mark, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us normally on the panel, but I thought it was uh, pretty appropriate to get you on. You uh, were hot off the press very early on in the piece, uh, straight after the uh, final whistle, actually, uh, and pretty glowing in your praise. It was a pretty uh, a pretty good performance all round, wasn't it, considering? Absolutely. Look, credit where it's due, Smithy. These guys, we were hard on them um, last November when they kind of limped over the uh, the end. Uh, to the end of a long tour with those back-to-back defeats to Ireland and France. We felt there were shortcomings. We felt there were worrying signs of, of um, you know, uh, of, of areas just where they were notably um, short of the mark, really. Um, and, look, they've come out and they've... Um, I don't know if they've necessarily put all those worries or doubts to bed, Smithy, but they've come out and they've shown that they're a much, much better team than that, aren't they? So credit where it's due, and especially, I thought, to the All Blacks forwards. They, this, this test was all about them. The All Blacks backs, Bowden mm. Barris and, and co, are always going, going to perform if you give them good enough ball. They're always going to outshine their opponents if you get them go forward. But it was up to the All Blacks forward, Smithy. Um, the acid went on them and I think they kind of accepted that um, and they fronted. They fronted big time. Look, it wasn't a perfect performance, was it? You know, they, they, they had to absorb a lot of pressure. They made a lot of tackles on their line. They held the Irish up, I think, four or five times over the line, so it could have been different. But it there was a lot to enjoy. There was a lot that was better, which was the main thing. The set piece fronted, uh, the collisions. We were at least competitive in, and won plenty of them. Um, you know, the the locks, who I thought um, looked a little bit, a little bit sort of um, past their use-by date last November. They looked mm. much better with a, you know, at, at the stage of the SME. So a lot of boxes ticked. A big up to the All Black forwards and a big up to the senior players, I thought, for leading a difficult week, which really in the end became a non-issue. So, okay, so we look at um, that defensive effort, which I think it probably stemmed from. It was, you know, it was we marvelled about, uh, what, three weeks ago at that uh, Crusaders defensive effort, 200 plus tackles. Well, this, this is the same, uh, at, a, at an efficiency rate of around 93%. Now, you know that, and the goal line defence too. The, the the scrambling they did it on goal line. What four to five times I think they held the Irish up over the goal line. That, that, that's that's I think probably sums the whole deal up in a nutshell. They would have the two uh, two test matches ago they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, um, you, you, there's two, you've got to be two things to defend that way. You've got to be well organised, and you've got to be um, 
to have a lot of heart to go and, and, and be playing for each other. You've got to have uh, massive, massive sort of um, teamwork and desire and, and all those sort of things because without that defence, just you can't defend like that. So, so well done to them, you know. In a week that their defence coach uh, wasn't there, pretty much the whole week they, um, you know, they defended the heck out of out of the test match. Um, Rico Ioane is a guy that we, you know, we marvel at his attacking skills. Don't we, Smithy? You know, when he gets the ball mm. in any sort of space and puts those afterburners on, he's something special. But Rico Ioane, when when your two signature plays of a test are, are a try-saving tackles, which they were for Rico Ioane. Let's face it, he didn't really set the world on fire with ball in hand. It wasn't a game that flowed his way. But he made two try-saving tackles that were just, you know, that really, as you sort of touched on there, personified what this effort was about for the All Blacks. It wasn't just, you know, X's and O's. It wasn't just, you know, getting line-outs right and, and scrum hits right. It was about playing for each other. It was about desire. It was about showing the black jersey means something. And I think that's what New Zealand rugby fans wanted to see, wasn't it, Smitty? That these guys yeah. actually still really care. You know, we know they've got skill. We know that they're good football players, but they need to play together. They need to play with heart. They need to play with a lot of passion. And we saw that, so, you know, we just need to see it two more times, I think, because this is a very, very good Irish thing. Yeah, they, uh, they're not going to go away, and um, that is for sure. We'll touch on Ireland uh, shortly. I, I just wanted the probably the most talked about selection, Mark, I think it's fair to say, going into the test, and the 15 in particular, was Scott Barrett at six. Uh, and in the end, uh, I think they pulled the right rein there, didn't they? Absolutely. Look, there was, you know, two reasons to, um, to pick Scott Barrett. For his physicality around the field and, the, you know, around the breakdown and tackles and so forth, and for his, you know, size and, and, and ability at the set piece, both of those aspects were vastly improved by the All Blacks. Um, Scott Barrett, I think, made 18, uh, 18 tackles. Missed four. Mm. So, you know, maybe there's a few runners coming down his channel uh, that he missed, but... Uh, Made 18 tackles, so you know, excellent work rate. Um, the line out was was okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a, a dominant line out like the Crusaders in that Super Rugby final, but the scrum was very good. Um, an area of the game when the All Black scrums are going well, they seldom lose. So, um, yep, big tick for that performance. We uh, for that selection. We in uh, Scott Barrett's performance, we questioned it, didn't we, with the uh, history of uh, that World Cup semi final, but. Um, I guess on a week where Ian Foster didn't have a huge influence, uh, that selection he got right, so well done to him there. Now the Irish, uh, I've been speaking to uh, a number of uh, Irish journalists before the game, we're all sort of huddled together in the same room, and one of the things that came up, of course, was uh, you know the fact that uh, they're going to be stretched for resources here. I mean, they'll have some very sore bodies uh, this morning and uh, going forward this week as well, but... Normally, uh, Mark, in the old days, 40 players to take on tour would say, hey, why do you need that many? But these days, it's entirely different. Yeah, I think that um, we wondered about, you know, the wisdom of those two matches against the Māori. On, on the surface, you could see why they did it. They're looking to build depth in their game. They don't have, um, you know, uh, I guess many opportunities beyond those sort of big-time big, big time, uh, uh, tests to kind of build that next layer of player. Um, but yeah, in, in July, at the end of their long season, um, you know, injuries and attrition were inevitable, and now it's really going to put them into a difficult position, and they're going to struggle to put a team together for that last Maori game. You, you know that um, just with the wear and tear, Johnny Sexton now must be in doubt with that head knock. Um, you know, we've, we've seen um, 
the, uh, the, you know, the injuries already out of the Māori game. They will, the roll call will come up uh, early this week out of Ireland. So, they're, you know, they're going to struggle, aren't they, to get through this tour with that number of people. I don't think they will be calling in reinforcements, I'm sure. Um, so, while, you know, it's one of those uh, decisions that gives and takes away, I think, you know, I think they benefit from playing the Māori by developing, you know, by giving those next tier of players in the Irish sort of system some experience of, of really test-level rugby. Let's face it, the Māori are a very good team. Yeah. But um, but this, it's going to make this tour really difficult for them now. And when they should be prioritising completely, um, you know, just staying in the series, finding a way to answer what the All Blacks did to them in that first test, they've got to also be thinking about how they're going to get through their remaining fixtures. So... A difficult position for the Irish. Maybe it benefits them long term. Who knows? We'll see. You know, some of mm. these guys that play in that that Mary game might come through and emerge as you know as, as excellent Test players, and maybe this thing works. But in the short term, I think there's some pain for them. Smitty. this is going to be a tough tour for them yeah. now. Dunedin is going to be unforgiving, and let's face it, under that roof in Dunedin, the pace of the game will go up another level, and that's going to you know yep. maybe cause more injury. So. Um, yeah, the tour gets difficult now for Ireland. I think the ball's totally in their court, isn't it? The All Blacks have, you know, I think going into Test 1, it was all about the All Blacks' response. Now, going into Dunedin, Smithy, it's all about the Irish yeah. response. Yeah, I think it's pretty well summed up, Mark. And, and having said that, though, 42-19 on paper looks pretty one-sided affair. Uh, but it was a 20-minute burst in the second quarter of the first half. Take that out where Ireland just uh, fell away in terms of their defensive patterns and, and what we've seen in the past. Uh, take that away. If they can uh, negate that kind of flop or that kind of hiccup, um, they'll go close because they're too good not to. Absolutely. Oh, look, I thought Ireland showed plenty in that test. Um, as you say, uh, the all, this is what the All Blacks do. If you think about some of the victories they've had over the Wallabies at Eden Park and they, they destroy them in, in 15 to 20 minute bursts and just, just put teams away. And that's what they do. That's what they're good at. You know, it's taking those opportunities. It's, uh, you know, it's putting distance and scoreboard pressure on teams and all those sort of things. So, um, but I thought Ireland showed plenty. They, they are a good team. Um, you know, and they, they, uh, there's almost no one better in the modern game of kind of retaining ball and building pressure than them. And I, that's why mm. I thought, um, the All Black forwards, uh, one of the areas they didn't probably get enough credit for was, you know, the, the turnovers they forced. I think leading up to, was it Quintu Paez try off Bowden Barrett's little kick through, I think the All Blacks had back-to-back um, ruck turnovers. And, and you know, that, just huge at that level of game against a team as good as Ireland because when they do hold on to the ball, they can put you under an incredible amount of pressure. So they show plenty and, and they'll probably get better. You know, you have to think that they were a little bit shocked by what, not shocked, but um, but they didn't have an answer to what the All Blacks produced, and in, in, especially in that second quarter, did they? They they got put back on the heels, and, and you know before they could recover, um, the game was really beyond their reach. So I think they'll be better in Dunedin. Uh, whether they handle the you know the different sort of game under the roof, that'll be interesting. But um, you have to expect that they could still <laughs> have plenty to say in the series. And that's why I think the All Blacks, they went dancing too many jigs after that test, Smithy. They were, you know, the feet were very much on the ground. I think that was a good sign because they know there's, there's um, still plenty to come in the series. Um, I, I've got to say, when, when we look at uh, this All Black campaign, uh, Mark, well, I think in the back of our minds, we're all thinking about the World Cup, which means are all these players still uh, going to be around at that time? Are their legs going to be good enough? 
Well, after after Saturday night, are you convinced yet, or will you need a lot more convincing with particularly the older Stooges? Well, I'm starting to be convinced, Smithy. I was really worried about Sam Whitelock last year, um, and I know it was a difficult year for him because you know he had um, the baby and 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 the toing and froing there, and and some late arrivals, and so it was, it was a disjointed season and a really difficult one, being so much on the road. Um, but I thought last year, even our whole second row, even Brodie Ritalik to a degree, I thought they looked a little bit past their best. But man, Sam Whitelock's had a fantastic year this year so far. I mean, he's brilliant for the Crusaders mm. at the back end of Super Rugby. Uh, really good in this test again. Um, so, you know, my doubts over him are starting to erase. Um, you know, um, the front rowers, another area of the props. You know, last November we were wondering, you know, where are our props up to it? But... Uh, off of Tuangafasi produces a scrumming performance like that. We know what he's got an all-round game. Um, George Bauer looks a real improver. You know, at 30 years old, he's a he's a late bloomer, but you know he's doing the job. And 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 there's more to come, I think, from the younger props around the New Zealand game. So, some heartening signs, Smithy. Yeah, we. I, I think anyone that's in the All Black setup now, they ha- you have to think that they're being considered to get through to the World Cup. It's only one and a bit more seasons. Um, so, yep, yep, I, uh, if, if we see more of what we saw at Eden Park from the likes of Sammy Whitelock, from the like, you know, we've still got to see Dane Coles and what he can produce yet when he's fully fit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think this is the group that will go through to the World Cup and I think Foster will remain committed to his older stages, just whether they play those sort of leading starting roles, I guess, is to be determined. Okay, what about this uh, week? Uh, all going well, say they're all fit, the All Black squad are all fit and available, no COVID, etc. Where do you go uh, if you're uh, if you're Ian Foster Grant and Grant Fox at this stage? What are you looking at? Continuity here or experimentation? Well, no, I, it's the old adage, isn't it? You don't change a winning team. I, 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 you know, that tends to go out the window these days to a degree because there's always you know one or two little things that they they want to change or look at and. But I think they'll largely keep this group intact. They'll reward them, Smith. That's what you do to guys up front for you when you're a coach. That's how you, that's how you earn player loyalty, isn't it? Uh, you know, so a guy like Quinn Tupaia, you know, probably wouldn't have started this t- this test if uh, David Harvey was fit and available. I think everyone could appreciate that. He produced a, a pretty good effort for a young man, and he's, you know, he just looks like he's a guy that's sort of coming to this level and has got so much upside. I, I, I think they'll stick with him, you know, even if David Harvey is fit off his bout of COVID, uh, just because he deserves it. Um, uh, you know, the left wing will be interesting if Caleb Clark is fit again. You know, that hamstring, I'm not quite sure where he's at with that. He was, he's been working on it and, he, you know, I've watched him at training and he's, he's sort of getting up to full pace but not quite there. So it's, uh, that'll be interesting because, you know, I think that... that I think Caleb Clark is, is a little bit of a missing ingredient for them, as good as Lester Fanganukua is, and he played well. You know, his, his carry mm-hmm. is so strong. Um, but I just think Caleb Clark brings that X factor, brings that sort of you know combination of power and, and, and so many things that they'll be tempted to have a look at. So they might look at that. And do they st- the big question to me is, do they stick with Scott Barrett at six? I mean, Foster had a bit of a bob each way in explaining the selection at the Said it was something they wanted to look at, but he also admitted that Akira Ioane wasn't quite right. Dalton Papali'i was, you know, still getting back to 100 in terms of his recovery from that appendicitis. So um, it, it'd be interesting to see whether they stick with that at six. But other than that, I wouldn't change too much. It ain't broke, Smitty. Don't fix it.
And the other, just before I let you go, uh, I just want to, have you got a comment on um, the, the, the last two games of rugby that we've had have been officiated by UK rugby referees, Northern Hemisphere referees as such, Wayne Barnes, Carl Dixon. To me, from looking in from the outside as a spectator and as a sideline commentator, uh, they tend to have flowed quite nicely and there hasn't been um, too many problems, has there for me? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you totally. Like I, uh, I did a sort of a questions uh, format thing on stuff before the test, and one of them was about you know what what role did we expect referee uh, the referee to have? And and my simple comment was, if we're not talking about the referee after the game, he's had an outstanding test. We weren't talking about the referee after this game mm. because it did flow, you know. And I think that. Yeah. Let's give credit to them. You know, in this part of the world, we're often a bit suspicious of Northern Hemisphere referees, aren't they? You know, they're, that they rule to the letter of the law, that they don't have a feel for the game, they don't like to let it flow. Well, let's give it credit. You're right. Wayne Barnes did a great job of that um, Maori game in difficult condi- weather conditions. It flowed as well as any mm. game of rugby could in that conditions. And I thought the referee on Saturday night, Mr. Dick- Dickinson, I think, wasn't it? Did a mm, also yeah. did an excellent job. Um, you know, he he was he was, you know, that they have a job to do these days, refs, and you know their bosses put them under the microscope just just like the coaches do players. So they have to they have to do what they got to do. But you know, I thought he let the game flow really well. I thought there was a good feeling for it. I thought he blew his whistle when he needed to, and he let it go when he didn't. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Let's appreciate the part these guys also play in in, in an entertaining test. Nine tries. It doesn't happen when a guy's blowing the heck, the pee out of his whistle, does it? So well done, well done. Uh, the Northern yep. Hemisphere referee thank- is setting a standard, I think. They have, they have indeed. Uh, not to be feared anymore. Eh? Hey, Mark, thank you very much for your summation of uh, Saturday night. Look forward to uh, your articles during the week and uh, Test match number two next week in uh, the Deep South. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Cheers, Smithy. You go well. Cheers, yeah, cheers. Uh, Mark Hinton. There, folks. It's. Uh, 9.24 here on SCNZ. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. How about this? Scott McLaughlin, back-to-back wins for the captain in successive years here. But it's a first for McLaughlin up in Ohio. With mum and dad on site to witness their son's victory here in Ohio. Yeah, celebrations tonight. Just to continue on, a, a wonderful two to three days of sport for New Zealanders uh, in this country and overseas. Yep, that's Scott McLaughlin. That's the second time he has won in only his second season. Remember, a rookie of the year last year. He's had two wins this year in uh, IndyCar racing. That, the mid-Ohio sports car course uh, for him in front of his parents, something absolutely extra special for them. Remember, uh, he had uh, a bit of trouble there at uh, the Indianapolis 500. That wasn't such a good time, but for him to win that um, for Team Penske, uh, that was uh, just something outstanding. So, yeah, Scott McLaughlin, uh, you're our first hero of this sporting week. Uh, it's 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, we want you to call us 0800 150 We've got the Chemist Warehouse voucher up for grabs. Any impression you've got about uh, the rugby or the league over the weekend, happy to hear your reflections on both. Or maybe Scott McLaughlin, Ryan Fox, anything you like, open the, the lines up. Uh, 0800 150 It is now 9.30 here on SENZ. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. 
Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Talk back time now, and uh, John from Auckland is uh, first cab off the rank this morning. John, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, what were your impressions of the rugby, mate? Yeah, well, firstly, what a great weekend uh, to be in New Zealand and to be a sports fanatic. Um, my impressions of the first rugby test was, um, you know, the All Blacks played how they actually should play. Um, you know, they just blew the Irish away. Um, full credit to the Irish, though, first. 20, 25 minutes, they dominated the, the contact area and they actually looked like quite a dominant side until, you know, the All Blacks kind of ripped them to shreds, eh? Um, and you were there, Smithy, you saw the the turning of the tide when Severin Reese picked up the ball and then the All Blacks just exploded into the beast that we knew they are. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure what, what, what is the actual capacity at Eden Park? People say it's 50,000, but then on TV, it's 48,000, 42,000. bit confused. <laughs> the crowd was 48,195, I was told. 48,195. Oh, yeah. And it looked, for all intents and purposes, as if it was packed to the gunnels uh, to me. Uh, anyway, I think they can in front of the uh, the North Stand. Uh, the North Stand is the one uh, opposite where the players run out. Uh, because it's an elevated stand, at times they can put temporary seating in front of that. And that brings uh, it up oh, above yeah. fifty thousand if they if they wanted to, John. But uh, not on this particular occasion. But yeah, you're you're right. They absorbed uh, a lot of pressure. I've got to say, Ireland's first try was just absolute copybook stuff. The way they wanted to start, and the All Blacks ha- had to absorb quite a lot early on. Uh, and they just they just pounced, didn't they? And uh, effectively, they'd put yeah. them away by half time. Um, and uh, there was I interviewed uh, Brad Moore at, at half time. He said, we didn't have to say a lot because uh, the players were saying it and the players were doing it. So uh, early signs are good, eh? Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's very positive to see that our our scrum, you know, dominated. And uh, we've mm. seen in the past that, you know, that front row from Ireland, uh, probably some of the best props in the world. Um, and then you see Ofatunga Fassi, who was quite under pressure um, after that Super Rugby final. And he dominated the scrum. Um, so it was very positive to see, and and I'd like to say you know a big thank you to the Warriors as well for winning um, and bringing <laughs> that um, joy back to us rugby league fans because it was awesome to see like Mount Smart Stadium, mate, twenty six thousand. I think um, that might have been rocking more than Eden Park. It was just amazing well, there you go to ag- see the Warriors do well. There you go again. Yeah, you, you go again, John. And, and you know, what did both those games have in common? High levels of defence when it mattered. Uh, when was the last time? I, I can't remember the last time. Someone will know, uh, and it probably wasn't. But, but it seems to me a long time since the Warriors never conceded a try in 80 minutes. How about that? Well, I think, yeah, I think they said last time was 2014, mate. So nearly 10-odd right. years, but awesome performance. And then another awesome performance from Arasanya. Um, You know, continuing being the world champion, representing Nigeria and New Zealand. Interesting, interesting, uh, uh, John. Hey, thanks for your call. Yeah, we'll touch on uh, UFC again throughout the morning, uh, and it might well be something that, uh, that Joe wants to talk about. Joe from Gizzy. G'day, Joe. How are you? Yeah, more than more than uh, smooth. Outstanding weekend of sport right around, including you know the national uh, squash championships. 
you know, the Women's Basketball League continuing, uh, you know, Foxy over there coming second, you know, and then uh, McLaughlin this morning, you know, I mean, New Zealand on the, on the world stage is outstanding. And then I think one thing we have to do is we have to stop bagging our our, 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 our selections. You know, everyone was bagging, oh, putting Barrett on the blind side. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And guess what? He's an absolute workhorse, and it worked. Okay, everything they see down this channel, he chopped and any any any. He owned that channel. Yep, missed a couple of tackles, but guess what? The physicality that he brings, second to none. All right, and now we've got to stop bagging. Oh. Oh, Sam Kane, Sam Kane. Oh, now he, he look. You know we've got the great Auckland coming. You know, but listen, Sam Kane has been there. He was out with a neck injury for for that should have stopped most people ever playing rugby again. But what do we do? Oh, we bag him. We bag him because one other player has one season where he stands out. We've got to we've got to trust the system that the All Blacks have. We've got to trust Foster. Okay, he's there until the end of the World Cup. Never mind bringing Razor into the equation. The players he's picking and the players he's choosing are there for reason. So all of those people on uh, Friday that were ringing up and who were texting and saying, "Oh, you know, the All Blacks, you know, no, oh, we're 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 a bit we're a bit worried," are now ringing up this week saying, "Oh, hey, look, great, great, you know, you know, and I knew that was going to happen, but they didn't." So you stop bagging it. Be like Arasanya. Stand up. You know, own it. Have some absolute pride in being a world champion. Have pride in winning like the Warriors did. You know, like Paul Colder and the national champions. And just own it. But we've got to support what's happening with our black team. I mean, I'm off to Dunedin this week, Smitty, with a whole lot of boys. All right? And we're going down there, and we know we're going to win. The roof's going to be on. It's going to be quick, fast. Rugby and Ireland won't keep up. I tell you, it's all good in the wet when you can tuck it up your jersey and roll around and roll around, but it's not like that when you play under the roof and she's liquid quick. And that back line, you know, our man in the midfield there, Rico, made huge defensive tackles. But this week, the ball goes to the back line, you watch that back line light up under the roof where it's nice and dry, and then he brings his other side of his game. And I, I wouldn't change a thing with that all-back team. The physicality out front, you know, they matched and they bedded and they owned the set piece. Brilliant. Absolutely love your sentiments there, uh, Joe. Um, yeah, I'm with you, actually. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, we have got those people uh, in charge. We have got them in their leadership roles. And one of the things I will say about a, a head coaching job these days is that uh, what you have to do if, uh, is pro- provide... All the contingencies, you, you get things in place for things like the fact that there's sickness in the camp or what have you. You, you, you organise things. That's, that's what your job is, an organiser, an absolute organiser. You talk to the Mike Hessens of the world. They are organisers, superb organisers. So if something goes wrong, you've got backup plans. And we're lucky. We've got backup plans like Joe Smith to call in, like Mike Cron to call in. And we've got senior players that do their job as well. And I think never better uh, emphasised than the last four to five days of All Black Rugby. Joe, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Dean, you might have uh, other suggestions. I know you're not a huge uh, Ian Foster fan, but you must have been quite a big fan of that performance. 
you, mate. It's going to be unreal. Like, who, who seen that coming? Like, it's been five years, I think, since we've seen a first up all black test like that. And uh, whether Force had much say, I don't, I don't know. I'm just pleased that the, the players stood up. You know, like I, one thing I really want to see happen this week is change. Not a lot. Like I think if you've got to have any rotation, keep it in the reserves. Like I mean, Christie was outstanding. I don't think he deserves to be dropped at all. But just to see how Fokatava would go off the bench. That, that would be an interesting one for me. I'm not just saying that because he plays for the Highlanders, but I think growing, growing depth, that's how I believe, and I'm, it's only my opinion, how I believe you should do it. Like making seven changes to the starting team, you don't really learn anything. Whereas that starting team, every one of them stood up. The guys off the bench stood up. We expect it, Smithy, and we haven't seen it. That's, that's why we've been critical. It's not that we want the All Blacks to lose at all, but the the writing was on the wall at the end of last year's tour, and it was because of rotation. Not, but it's never ever been because of player debt or player welfare in New Zealand. It's because we never pick the same team. Like it's just like a business. You need to have consistency with selection. All the top teams have that. We've always got the cattle. It just concerns me that the shepherd keeps changing the paddocks. And well, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing that. So now. How could you change that starting 15? Like, Tupai was outstanding. Aaron's delivery, is there's nothing like it on the planet. The French might have a gun little halfback up and coming. We've got 20 gun little halfbacks up and coming at every first thing in New Zealand. It doesn't matter. He's got the experience. His task is bowed in a point of difference. And that wee chip kick for Tupai. But for me, the game swung on Bowden's tackle. Because their winger was outside Sikadu. And... The pass goes to him. Who knows? Our defence was outstanding. Scott Barrett at six just shows the mark of the man. He's got a work rate. He's got a ticker. He's got everything a black jersey should have. We've got players in that squad that don't have a ticker and play when it suits them. Well, that's not an All Black. They're good enough to be All Blacks, but it frustrates the hell out of someone like me when they play when it suits them. I want them to play in that jersey every time. Okay, Dino, thank you very much for that. We'll talk to you again uh, through uh, throughout the week, of course, in the build-up to your test match in your backyard down in uh, Dunedin. Uh, and last say of the day, as always, for you, Zaid. What a weekend for you Aucklanders. Yeah, uh, good weekend. Um, um, couldn't make the All Blacks game, but was at the Warriors game. What an occasion last week. Um, we've bagged the Warriors a lot this year, a lot, all of our fans. But how great is it to see the Warriors back in Mount Smart, back in their backyard, and with a dub, um, end their seven-game losing streak, and they didn't even concede a try. Chanel Harris, Tavita, Tohu Harris, and Jesse Arthurs had a few streakers for some entertainment, even if they were clothed. It was a great occasion, and the Warriors have gone to win back at home. Were they ever going to lose their first game back at home? I just don't think they could do it for the fans. And Stacey Jones... You should be wrapped, and all the boys should have a big, big, big pride. It was an absolute great game. All Blacks stood up again, as they usually do. Um, Sebu Reese, outstanding. Adi Savia, outstanding. And my boys showed up in the UFC. Adesanya, time after time, does what he does. Always backs up his trash talk. And Alexander Volkanovsky is the great. And he absolutely put Max Holloway to the sword. Holloway couldn't stop bleeding. And um, 
Volkanovski, <laughs> unanimous decision, same as Israel Adesanya, and the Oceania boys march on with their featherweight and the middleweight bouts. Absolute great weekend. Oh, we're all in a great mood, Zade. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your call, mate. As always, uh, Jeff, we couldn't have, have the time to get to you, but Jeff the ref, you call back tomorrow, mate, because your views will always be current. Uh, please, uh, so that'll be fantastic, Jeff. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, absolutely, everyone is on a high. Can you you can sense it? You can sense it on the calls and the, and the texts that are coming in. Outstanding. Uh, we'll be back with some of those texts very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. He's a default, bro. What, look, what class of fight is that, man? What class of fight is it? So you can hit a ball into the crowd, hit someone and not get defaulted. Are you dumb? Yeah, dude. Okay. So now he classifies to be hurt. You're a disgrace. Yeah, you know, you just change the rules whenever you want. All right, bring your, su- bring your supervisor out. I mean, Nick Kyrgios is complaining that Sitsipas has hit the ball into the crowd and should be defaulted. Referee is coming out. So warning for Sitsipas. After the match, I explained... No, what are you talking about? No, after the match, I talk about... Bro, bring out, bring out more supervisors. I'm not done. You can bring them all out. I don't care. I'm not playing until we get to the bottom of it. You can't hit a ball into the crowd and hit someone, and it's not a default. What a goose. I mean, a lot of people say it's really good for the game and it's what the game needs, an injection like that. But really, to be perfectly honest, just get on with it. I mean, you're playing well enough. Why just can't you, you know, you're on track to make a, a quarterfinal in the round of 16, Nick Kyrgios? Why don't you just get on and play? Or can't you play without doing that? Is that the secret to how you survive? Without that kind of disruption within your system, without that kind of mindset, can you not play the game of tennis? I mean, after that, it was interesting to hear Sitsipas, the Greek, his uh, summation of Nick Kyrgios, he said he's a bully. He does that. He bullies umpires. He bullies the opposition players. And, and that's all he does. And he believed that probably in his school days, he was a, a bully as well. <laughs> really interesting. 9.52 here on SENZ. Sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, I went for the doctor on Friday. Um, not, uh, not didn't, didn't actually go to the doctor. I mean, when I went for the doctor in terms of my multi. Uh, so went uh, for the Warriors to beat West Tigers. Well, that eventuated. Argentina to beat Scotland, that eventuated. But I had the All Blacks to beat Ireland one to twelve, and they blew them out. So uh, by twenty three points, so that wasn't uh, exactly what uh, I planned. And of course, I had England to beat Australia as well in the rugby. And of course, uh, even though they had a player sent off by a New Zealand official for a headbutt, um, you know they they still got up and won Australia. It was a pretty gutsy performance. But they've done that before with fourteen players. So they they tend to play well in adversity at times. The Australians, Michael Hooper, having a terrific game. Uh, right, what do we got today? Uh, we've got baseball. The Philadelphia Phillies to beat the St. Louis Cardinals at a buck sixty-three. Uh, Cameron Norrie to beat David Goffin. Cameron Norrie, who's uh, Great Britain's last uh, hope, really, at uh, Wimbledon, and he's playing some pretty good tennis. He's uh, picked to beat Goffin at a dollar forty-four. We'll take that. And Elise Cornet to beat Ayla Tomlinovich, the Australian, at a buck seventy-five. Okay, so that's uh, a four-dollar ten. $4.10 uh, result for that particular multi.
So uh, we'll keep an eye on that one overnight. Uh, just to tell you that uh, JT Poston is about to win the John Tier Classic. He's hit his second on the green on the 18th and has a three-shot lead. So he can five-putt and still win from about 15 feet. So JT Poston, the latest winner on the PGA Tour. Uh, when we come back, it will be tennis we're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk uh, to Brett Phillips, who is uh, our SEN brother across here in Australia. He specialises in looking at tennis Grand Slams, and we're right in the middle of Wimbledon as we speak. Brett Phillips is next. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, second week of Wimbledon, it's the business end of the competition, and there's some uh, pretty good players who have come and gone already, the likes of uh, Iga Swiatek, of course, the number one seed for the women's event, and uh, Alcaraz and Kasparud gone out of the men's event, um, and uh, one man keeping a very close eye on it uh, for us and for our listeners in Australia as well as SEN's very own Brett Phillips, who is uh, the host of the first serve he also has just finished commentating the game involving Novak Djokovic, I understand, where he's got through in four sets over Van Richthofen, uh, 6-2, 4-6, 6-1, 6-2. So uh, in the end, uh, the number one seed prevails. Brett Phillips, good morning to you. You're a busy man at this time of the year, uh, clearly. Uh, I, I guess, can we, we, can we start with your favourite son over there, uh, Nick Kyrgios? Um, through all his antics, etc., he's found himself in the round of 16 against uh, Brandon Nakashima. Uh, good morning, Ian. Hopefully you can hear me uh, loud and clear. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be uh, well, a big night, certainly, for Australia. Uh, coming up later tonight, very rare uh, that Australia... Well, I think we're going to go back to 1999, the last time Australia had... Uh, four, sorry. You there? Are you still there, Brett? No, we appear to have uh, lost Brett Phillips at this point. We might try and uh, get him back. The boys are uh, on the line trying to get him back. So, yeah, it is, as you were saying, it is a big night for Australia. Uh, they still have uh, Ella Tomlinovic uh, in there. She's playing Elise Cornet. Uh, that's in the quarterfinals. Uh, and uh, Alex de Menor as well is, is still very much part of it as well. And he's uh, pretty uh, pretty well favoured as well, Alex de Menor. So he's... Um, He's playing some good tennis too. So Australia have uh, three live attempts at, at a singles at, at this point. So it'd be nice if uh, we can get uh, Brett Phillips back. He's uh, just finished commentating. And he has uh, other people he has to talk to uh, without the hour, throughout the hour as well. But uh, at this stage, we're desperately trying to get him back uh, in line. We've got uh, Kiryas up against Brandon Nakashima. Uh, Cameron Norrie against David Goffin. Jason Kubler, Australian as well, uh, up against uh, Taylor Fritz. Uh, Nadal up against uh, Van der Sunslope, I don't know too much about. Sinner is through. He's the one that beat Alcaraz. And, uh, of course, we just think that uh, Djokovic is through as well. Uh, Brett, sorry about that. Uh, we lost you temporarily. But, yeah, big night for Australia coming up. Yeah, apologise, Smithy. Uh, good to speak to you. Uh, it's been a yeah, big night of tennis. Uh, but, yeah, look, obviously, for, just from an Australian perspective, we're hoping for a, a good night. I think, yeah, going back to... Yeah, 1999, I've been working with uh, Yelena Dokic on the nine coverage here, and she was uh, uh, the one female um, like uh, Isla Tomlanovic, uh, who's going to be um, obviously taking the court tonight, and then we've got the three uh, the three men. So they're all uh, all live chances, uh, no doubt. Jason Kubler's the, 
the feel-good story. Um, a young man who's had, you know, seventy operations and 29 years of age, having uh, the best period of his tennis life, he'll get the biggest paycheck uh, that he's ever gotten. In fact, the last time he played, uh, Taylor Fritz, the American, was at the US Open in 2018. And I was out on one of the outside courts, and Jason actually went over pretty heavily on his ankle, was um, uh, escorted off the court, and he's had a lot of injuries across his journey. So quite fitting he gets to play uh, Taylor Fritz again. Uh, right now, probably Nick Kyrgios can beat any player uh, left in the draw. That's how sublime Ian, his talent is, and uh, takes on a young American in yeah, Brandon Nakashima. Alex Dimonor, our number one Aussie male, is a huge chance here. I mean, we've got a big chance of having an All-Australian quarterfinal. He plays... Uh, Christian Garin, they've got a, a 3-0 head-to-head for Demon, and Isla Tom Lenovich gets the benefit of uh, Elisa Cornet knocking out the world number one in uh, Iga Sviantec over the weekend, so it's a huge leg up for Isla to make back-to-back uh, quarterfinals, so yeah, we're a little excited that uh, we might have some Australians going uh, much deeper than we expected. Okay, let's look at the match you've just finished uh, calling, Brett, if we could. Thanks. Four-set victory to Novak Djokovic. Uh, confirming his number one uh, ranking. Uh, is, he, is he regarded for you as the, as the bloke to beat? Well, I think he's got the eye of the tiger uh, because he knows, Ian, that uh, he's probably not going to be playing the US Open uh, later this year if the United States continue to uh, not allow unvaccinated people into their country. And Novak's certainly um, not going to budge from um, uh, that stance that he's taken against uh, vaccination. So being two behind the Dale, uh, he knows that he's got a strike here. And we haven't seen we haven't seen uh, Rafa and, and Novak in a, in a final of uh, Wimbledon, which would be quite fitting because Nadal looks uh, pretty sharp on the uh, the other side of the draw. And you know he's buying a chance for the first time to actually win a calendar slam, which has always eluded him. Uh, but Djokovic, yeah, a little scared today. Uh, good story. Uh, Tim Van Rijthoven, who three weeks ago had never made, had never even played a main draw ATP match. He went on to, to win a, a 250 title in his home country, beat Daniil Medvedev, uh, the current world number one in the final. It was on an eight-match winning streak. Took a set off Djokovic today, and he's a player that has had a fairy tale little period that could uh, go on and do some really good things in tennis. You wonder where he's been, uh, to be quite frank. Uh, but Djokovic... Yeah, he was, when it counted today, he was terrific. But he's got to play Yannick Sinner uh, next, who mm. was absolutely brilliant today, Sinner beating Carlos Elcaraz. That's the future of men's tennis right there, the 19-year-old versus the 20-year-old, and they had a titanic struggle on centre court. Kyrgios, has he, has he got the game um, without the antics? I mean, you know, quite yeah, often he, he makes the headlines. He makes the headlines uh, for obvious reasons. Some people say it's great. Some people say it's, uh, it's a bit boorish and he, he can get over it. But at the end of the day, he's still there. Uh, what about his uh, chances against Nakashima, the American? Well, pound for pound, he should beat Nakashima. If, if he rocks up in the right frame of mind and just uh, executes all the strengths of his game, which is most times an unreturnable serve, uh, freakish talent off the ground. If, if, he, if he plays the percentages in and just stays totally focused and engaged, uh, he did show against Sitsi Pass with all the stuff going on, he could still win the match as well. Normally, in the past, all the antics would have seen the game on court unravel as well, but he actually kept the game in check. So that's that's a positive sign. I, 
I, I do see, uh, as much as I find the whole Kyrgios experience, uh, <laughs> you know, quite um, quite exhausting over when you when when you've been covering him for a long period. I do see a look in his eye that he he actually maybe believes now that he can win a Grand Slam. I don't think he's necessarily had the belief uh, before, and um, pound for pound, he knows he's as good as anyone left in this draw. That, that's how good this guy is, and um, I, I think you'd have to say right now, uh, he could possibly, if everything was right physically, mentally, he could possibly beat a Djokovic or in the Dale. Wow, okay. Uh, and that's the key, physically, I, I think, for him, mentally is, is the issue, really, get in front of himself, that's the problem. Let's look at, um, I know you've got a, another commitment very shortly, uh, can we quickly look at the women's side of things as, as well? Australia still have representation there as well, uh, up against Cornet, Elise Cornet, though, who uh, caused the biggest upset in the, in the women's draw. Well, she's a great fighter, Elise Cornet. She's played, I think, what, 62 consecutive Grand Slam draws. So she's been very durable inside the top 100. Uh, there's always been a drama with Elise's matches, but she is a true fighter. But, gee, the seeds have fallen big time on the women's side. And on the Javert, the third seed, won through today. I mean, she's, I would say, an absolute monty to make the final on her side of the draw. And if you look at the other side, uh, Paula Badosa is the highest-ranked player who's never obviously been to uh, a Wimbledon final, but she's got to overcome Simona Hallop, who does know what winning Wimbledon's all about, having won it back in 2019. So that's the standout match on that side of the draw, but it is absolutely wide open for a possible smoky win Wimbledon this year. It's a, it was a terrific result. I mean, I, and for her to win that, Angebeer, I, I can't think, I was scratching my head before thinking of, of noted tennis players from Tunisia. What a hell of a result that would be. <laughs> no, she's making history, Smithy, for her country. Uh, absolutely flying the flag for uh, Tunisia. And uh, I, I think from all reports is inspiring, you know, more kids to take up uh, tennis in, um, in her country. And look, she's just a... You know, she's a terrific person. Um, you know, she's got a great team around her. Uh, she plays a different style of tennis. It's refreshing. There's a lot of that Ash Barty style, a lot of slice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes maybe she's a little too cute at times and just needs to put a few of the, the tricks away. Uh, but more often than not, it's uh, it, she catches her opponent by surprise. And her opponent is a little bit more one-dimensional who can't quite go with her. So the reward would be to win a slam. I mean, that would be um, a pretty historic moment just in, in tennis. And, yeah, I think, you know, she certainly built the game now that's capable of, uh, of winning a grand slam. Uh, Brett, I know you've got to go, so thank you very much for that, that summation on both sides of the draw. Uh, really busy week for you and a busy week uh, for tennis fans. Great time of the year for you all. So uh, thank you for uh, your help this morning and uh, good luck with uh, the remainder of Wimbledon. Yeah, pleasure. Well, look forward to chatting again. Thanks, Ian. Jess, Brett Phillips there uh, from SEN in Australia and also the Nine Network, of course, uh, where he's doing some play-by-play uh, -play commentary as well. So outstanding for him to just break away from that uh, and give us uh, a little bit of his time summing up uh, there. So, yes, a very interesting story. Ange Javier is now uh, the highest seed left in the tournament at number three uh, from Tunisia. I wouldn't have thought that uh, you'd, you'd see that uh, too often, but obviously from Tunisia may well have gone through the college system in America um, to get a grounding there, saw some raw talent at the beginning and then uh, signed on a scholarship, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, we'll look at that, but um, it's a possibility. Um, the, the further she gets in the tournament, 
uh, the more we'll clearly find out about her. A number of texts that have uh, come in as well this morning. We'll be reading those out uh, later on. But an interesting one from Simon. Simon's come in and said, Smithy, uh, Nick is an A-grade knob. There's, there's a reason he hasn't won a Grand Slam. Uh, talent is one thing, harnessing it is another. And, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, if he came up against uh, a Nadal or a Djokovic, a Djokovic uh, the Joker as they call him, would those antics in a, in a Grand Slam semi-final, a Grand Slam final, would those antics be advantageous to Nick Kyrgios? Would they worry uh, the likes of Djokovic or Nadal? I don't think so. Uh, they've been to a lot more rodeos than he has. And, uh, you know, uh, Sean has come in on the other side of it and said it's time. It's time for a multiple tournament ban for Kyrgios. Uh, that's another way of looking at it too, Sean. So plenty of feeling about uh, Nick Kyrgios. We shall take a break when we come back. It'll be panel time. To SENZ in the home of the Crusaders, in the home of the tactics. Don't forget the Rams and what about the Canterbury Kings? Here in Christchurch on 1260am. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, great panel this morning with uh, Brad Lewis and Guy Havelt and it's a look back on sort of a day really, uh, the weekend that was and uh, it just continues to keep happening with Scott McLaughlin this morning, Ryan Fox overnight. Uh, the, the fine performances uh, that we can uh, reflect on along with uh, these two gents and uh, Guy, I'll start with you if I can please. Uh, the Eden Park performance uh, by the All Blacks was I think quite outstanding in, uh, in view of what we probably expected with the build-up, etc., and the fact that Ireland gave them a, a touch-up last time round. Morning, Smithy. Uh, morning, Brad. Slick, I would say, Smithy. It was, it was outstanding, wasn't it? Um, they, they were... Ireland came out strong to start, but as soon as the All Blacks kind of got into their groove, there was really no turning back. I was just thinking about it before. There wasn't really anyone that you would single out as, as maybe having a... a, a you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm just, uh, just getting out of another room so I go into a quiet room. Uh, you wouldn't single out anyone who, who wasn't who was really off the pace. Everyone had a superb game. Um, I thought Bowden Barrett uh, stepped up particularly when when he really needed to, having uh, been outplayed by Richie Maunga in the Super Rugby final. I thought Artie Savier and Sam Kane were fantastic. Uh, yeah, as I say, I thought the team overall was superb. And uh, one other thing, Smithy, and, and you would have noticed it being there as well, isn't Eden Park sold out seeing, you know, 90% of people wearing uh, the same colour, that being black, uh, just an absolutely mm. superb sight. I know the stadium gets a lot of stick, uh, but when it's a full, a full crowd, a, a sold out Eden Park, uh, there's not much better in this country. No, you're right. Uh, it did look special. Uh, I was there in 2011. Uh, guy when uh, Ireland won there, uh, but they beat Australia uh, in that World Cup oh, match there. So that was about 11 years ago, and I remember that. That was a sea of green. Yeah, that was an unbelievable night, wasn't it? Um, just the, that, that was that was up there with the loudest I've ever heard at Eden Park, and, and as you say, not mm. even a New Zealand team anywhere near it. That that was an incredible night, and the singing and that sort of thing that came out of that. And just on the topic of singing, and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. But it was beautiful to hear the Tadeo version of, of the national anthem uh, sung loud and proud by nearly everyone in that stadium on Saturday night. It's uh, taken a while to get to that point, but it was it was bloody nice to hear. Okay, cool. Um, there was uh, plenty of emotion too um, at uh, Mount Smart. We'll start. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that shortly with you, Brad Lewis. But first of all, your reflections on the All Blacks. 
Oh, I, I just agree with 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 Guy and, and good morning to you guys. Uh, great to see Aaron Smith play with like the reins off. It felt like he he was released uh, from the shackles that have been on him the last few years, and I, I thought that made a massive difference. And Artie Savier outstanding. Sam Whitelock had a great game. Uh, just really impressed. And and slick, I think, is the right word. Uh, I don't know if there's 25 points between these two teams. I think it's closer than that. But uh, a, a great performance from the All Blacks. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. Um, it was 20 minutes between the two teams for my uh, side of things, Brad. 20 minutes of all-black, um, a, a blitz, really, given the opportunity. Mm. Uh, but Ireland's second-half performance uh, was, was uh, I'd say, almost dominant when you look at the, uh, the scrambling defence the all-blacks had to pull off. Yes, but in saying that, also impressed with the All Black defense. Given that the back end of last season, that was a major concern. So I thought their defense in the red zone was was excellent on Saturday night, and that that's, that, that's a good push for uh, what's going to be a pretty tough season. Given what I saw from Dave Rennie's Wallabies, man, th- those guys are looking really, really good. So, guy, can we leave Ian Foster alone for a while now that uh, you know we've come up with this first up performance and look forward to this year rather than look forward to blaming him for something else? <laughs> uh, it's a very good question. I, I look. I, I think. I think we can. I think Ian Foster has had a pretty rough trot in terms of COVID in the last couple of years. I think this is probably the year where everything seems right. Largely, yeah, there are going to be the odd COVID case here and there, but it's not going to wipe out a whole team. They won't have to travel for an extended period of time. So this is the year where I think a lot rests on how the All Blacks perform. That was a strong start. Uh, it's not easy for Ian Foster this year either. They've got three tests against Ireland. Then they go to Africa and play two in South Africa. I mean, that is that is a bloody tough trot for this team. So if they can come out of that with, say, four wins out of five or even, dare I say, five from five, uh, I think uh, that that looks very good for Ian Foster and the weight will somewhat be off his shoulders, I suspect. And Sam Kane as well. I would imagine if he stays fit and playing and defending yeah. like he defended the other night, that was uh, quite... Uh, quite a performance, I, I thought, from a guy who seems to be under siege a hell of a lot. And uh, okay, let's uh, talk about being under siege. Uh, Brad, no one's been under siege more than the Warriors, Cameron George, Stacey Jones, Nathan Brown. There's a whole list of people that are probably looking forward to uh, the weekend uh, at, at Mount Smart Stadium, and it didn't disappoint, um, keeping the West Tigers trialless uh, and pleasing the fans greatly. Yeah, and stoked for the fans, Smithy, because they have suffered more than anyone in the last uh, 1,039 days, right? So uh, so happy for them that they're able to cheer their team out. I spoke to Cam George during the week, and he said, you know, it's like we've got our family back. And I, I think that we, we do need to cut the worries a bit of slack for the last three years, and certainly some Australian pundits have alluded to that, like... You take Melbourne Storm out of Melbourne for three years, and, and do they are they the most successful team in the NRL? Probably not. So, like, uh, why their performance has flattered to the sieve, and, and they they should be winning more than they are. Uh, I think it showed yesterday that what a home crowd can do, and West aren't the best team in the competition by a long way, but uh, but that's the best the Warriors have played um, for, for some time. Certainly defensively, they looked great yesterday. I've got to say, Guy, uh, I left um, Auckland on Sunday morning to come back to Hawke's Bay, but whilst I was at Auckland Airport, there were flight after flight arriving with Warriors jerseys <laughs> on. Uh, people people from everywhere flocking uh, up to Auckland. Uh, and that was, a, I think, that was a, my first sign uh, just how, how big it was going to be at Mount Smart, and it didn't disappoint. Mate, I was rocking into work sometime, sometime between 9 and 10 a.m. yesterday, 
uh, and and towards you know getting towards town, there were a flood of Warriors jerseys at that time in the morning. Clearly heading to the restaurants or the bars or whatever just to get in the mood for the day. And then I didn't make it to Mount Smart. I was here in the office, but watching it on TV, it was actually quite special. I thought um, to see the emotion, the excitement, the the pure kind of joy, even relief, particularly on the players' faces. I think was was pretty evident to see and yeah they put out a very good performance look i i i think we need to um temper things a little bit uh it was the west Mm. tigers they have to face the melbourne storm at home in a few weeks that's not going to be easy they're still not going to make the eight and they've still got a lot of things that need fixing uh but yesterday was a very very special day in the history of the club uh and and a day that that um, I don't think anyone can begrudge them having, considering what they've been put through over the last few years. It, it, it was really cool to see, and, and I hope they can get a similar crowd against the Storm. That, that's the game that people should turn up to, because it's the one that the Warriors will need the most support for, um, and it's the Melbourne Storm. Why wouldn't you pay to go along to that? So, yeah, uh, awesome. Awesome stuff all around, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for the Warriors. Uh, I just don't think it'll change much of their season fortune, shall we say. Yeah, I think it'll have to be up to um, uh, the Auckland-based crowd uh, more so than the New Zealand-based crowd for for that guy. I think uh, for it to be a sellout again, I, I'm not quite. I mean, this was a date on the calendar everyone had been waiting for and planning for and could arrange trips around for a long time. Sure, the Melbourne Storm game is as well, but I think it, it, it's going to test more the Auckland fan base, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Absolutely it is. And, and, and we were actually talking about this in the office yesterday. Um, you know, there, there are that probably 60, 70% of that crowd yesterday who are diehard Warriors fans. But then there are, say, the 30 or 40% who just wanted to be seen to be at the Warriors and be at their homecoming game. Um, and mm. so that will be the test. And they draw in those 30, 40% of people who went along probably to their first ever Warriors game. Can they draw them back? Uh, for an even bigger game in a few weeks. Uh, That'll be their test. Okay, we'll take a short break here for some uh, news with Araha. And when we come back, uh, let's talk a bit of UFC, a little bit of IndyCar, a little bit of golf, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, Kyrgios as well. So uh, it's coming up 10.30 here on SENZ. Brad Lewis and Guy Havelt will stick around for us, thankfully. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Guy Havelt with us this morning is, is uh, Brad Lewis. And Brad, especially uh, for you, this uh, little clip we're about to play. This is uh, Israel Adesanya uh, before his fight over the weekend with uh, Jared Kananir uh, and uh, his thoughts uh, specifically towards the New Zealand government. Take a listen to this. There's one thing I noticed from last week um, where you said you wouldn't fight in New Zealand. What would maybe make you rethink that? What would it take? Um, an apology from the people who were blocking us, the people who um, disrupted our bubble after we already did it for the Costa fight. We did it and there was no issues. So the ones that came and disrupted our bubble and the ones that were following Dan around while he was trying to train to represent the country that he puts the f-ing country flag on his back for. Um, if we get a public apology from them and admitting that, oh yeah, we f***ed up. But I don't think they're grown up enough to even do that because they can never admit they're wrong. I can always admit when I'm wrong and I'll own it, but you can never do that. You people in Sports Ministry of NZ, you're a f-ing disgrace. Well, uh, Brad, what'd you make of that? <laughs> well, uh, uh, 
the, the person that needs to apologize is the stuff reporter that was following Dan's uh, Dan Hooker around. But uh, look, at the end of the day, man, like that that's Izzy being Izzy. And uh, I don't think we'll see... I, the reason that I don't think we'll ever see him fight in New Zealand again is not because he won't. It's because the UFC will never host a pay-per-view event in New Zealand with our market. Australia, yes, because they have a forty to 60,000-seat stadium that they can host outdoors. But Izzy's too big a name to fight in the New Zealand market anyway. So I kind of think it's a story that's been overblown because unless Izzy loses three or four fights in a row, he's 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 too big a name. He's just he's arguably the biggest star in the UFC. He's too big a name to to fight uh, in New Zealand anymore anyway. So I kind of think it's almost like a non-story. It's a story that headline writers can grab onto, and I get that because I am a headline writer. But um, if you look deeper into it, uh, and if you certainly if you ask Dana White, it's it's not really a story. Okay, the story was about his performance in the ring following those comments. Mm. Uh, and on yes. his own admission, perhaps not his sparkle, uh, most sparkly performance, but still efficient enough? Oh, more than efficient. He was. Uh, he just completely outclassed Jared Cannonier for five rounds. One judge scored, giving him all five. And it's interesting, I was, I was looking at a couple of the great champions of, of MMA and boxing last night, sort of looking at their records. And, you know, Floyd Mayweather won 11 decisions in a row after he won the title. Muhammad Ali was a decision master. Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre, two of the greatest fighters of all time, uh, I mean, GSP had nine straight decision wins as a champion. Uh, John Jones, five of his last six title defenses were decisions. When you are a champion, Alex Volkanovski yesterday, great fight, but went to a decision. When you're a champion, you're fighting the very best in the world. You are going to go to decisions against the very best fighters in the world. You're not going to be able to knock out every single person that you fight, specifically at middleweight. So, look, I, I think he did what he had to do. Um, yeah, was it an off night? Maybe, but he was still streaks ahead of Jared Cannonier and the only challenge for him left in that division is Alex Pereira who was amazing yesterday has knocked out Izzy in the past in kickboxing that is a great fight uh, and uh, whispers I'm hearing is that it might main event in Sydney in January so uh, that would be uh, certainly a bucket list event to get over to a Volkanovski too good for um, Holloway yeah yeah Max is uh, uh, sorry Alex is uh, is at the top of his game uh, he is just come along so well in the last three or four years and he's turned from Smithy from like a, a ground and pound sort of uh, wrestler into one of the best strikers in MMA thanks to uh, what he's doing at CKB with all the great strikers there so uh, yeah uh, phenomenal performance uh, he is the greatest featherweight of all time that is now undisputed okay um, let's uh, pop across to you guy uh, he, he is uh, an interesting case, uh, Israel uh, Adesanya, isn't he? And, and those comments, uh, I would imagine the sports ministry won't take a, a pay a lot of heed to them and he won't get the apology he's uh, seeking, but uh, he's digging his toes in in that regard. They, yeah, he, he won't get the apology, absolutely not. I think he's right to an extent. I mean, when Dan Hooker was photographed doing what he was doing, he was, from my view anyway, doing nothing wrong. Um, he was opening his gym to go in himself and, and train himself for his heavyweight title fight. He didn't have, or his, sorry, his title fight. He didn't have uh, X amount of people around him or anything like that. I'm pretty sure it was just him on his own. Uh, so anyway, there was no issue with that. Uh, I think Adesanya has a point to an extent. I think he somewhat shoots himself in the foot by the way he goes about it and maybe puts some people offside, but that's who he is. Um, and, and he's not afraid to speak his mind and good on him in doing that. He won't get his apology, and Brad is absolutely right. The the, the, the bigger thing here is that Adesanya is, is an enormous global name, 
uh, he is he is the biggest name in New Zealand sport, um, whether we like that or not. He absolutely is. He is a global megastar, uh, and the market here in New Zealand is just not big enough to, to suit him. So Australia, America is where he will always fight, uh, and we won't see him back here, and uh, that's because he's probably just got too big for New Zealand now. It's a great shame, actually, Brad, because uh, I'm just thinking about Forsyth Bar Stadium with the roof in Dunedin. The seats, are, you know, you, you look at the seats, they're, they're basically on top. They, you, they, you sit up the stairs and you look down on top of the action when it comes to, to a, a rugby match. That uh, is clearly not big enough capacity, but what a venue that would be for, for perhaps uh, a UFC at some stage. Yeah, and before all of this, Izzy had suggested fighting Rob Whitaker at Forsyth Bar before COVID, so like that was something that Izzy had pl- had on his plan. He wants to fight in Africa, and he wants he wanted to fight in New Zealand. And uh, I think, look, I, I, when push comes to shove, he probably could have demanded a fight in New Zealand. But now that um, he is where he's at, and this has all happened, then no. But I know we're going to talk about Nick Curios uh, shortly. But again, similar late. We want sports people to be themselves, right? We want them to be different, and Izzy is different. And he, he, he grinds my gears sometimes with some of the things that he says, but at the end of the day, he's being himself, and that's what we want in sport. We want these guys to be themselves and show their personalities. Uh, okay. Oh, well, well, I'll stay with you then, Brad, on, on Kyrgios. His latest outburst was uh, against uh, Tsitsipas, uh, the Greek, uh, beating him in the end, and I, I just wonder whether that is part and parcel. I mean, is that a club in his bag? Is that a racket in his bag, his, his, <laughs> his outburst? Is, uh, without them, is he the same Nick Kyrgios as a player? I, I don't know. It's, I mean, so, so rare love, that you ever see that. I'd love to have a coffee with that guy, right? Like, man, he'd be an interesting <laughs> chap to talk to, to see what he's like away from the tennis court. Like, I think it's just him, and it's so, like, it's refreshing. And, like, uh, uh, you know, a, a friend of all of ours, Dave Worsley, uh, uh, said to me last week that, uh, you know, you, tennis has been crying out for characters for, for 20 years, and then they finally get one, and they don't want him anymore. So it makes no sense, right? Like, does he cross the line at times? Absolutely. But, man, is he appointment watching every single time he plays? And take all of the theatrics away from it. He dominated Sitsipas in that match. Like, you know, that was a dominant performance. Uh, and and you know maybe we are, we we could be approaching an era where Kyrgios uh, sorts his stuff out and and uh, and becomes one of the top players in the world and he's got a chance he's got a, a decent draw uh, tomorrow morning and you get to a quarter final and you're two wins away from a final and then anything can happen. I would love to see Nick Kyrgios make the Wimbledon final. That would be amazing. Look, I, I, I'm with you on that and, and I, I think tennis needs personalities. Uh, the game as a whole. Uh, and I go back to the early days of, of McEnroe, and, and McEnroe was uh, synonymous with with trouble, basically. But m- most of his was directed at the umpire. The thing that gets me about uh, Kyrgios, uh guy is that he gets quite personal with his opposition players, and, and we've seen it with Michael Venus. We're, we've seen it now with Tsitsipas and others as well. They don't take too kindly to it, player on player. I can't get enough of Nick Kyrgios. I, I, I find it appointment viewing for a number of reasons. Um, one particularly is in terms of tennis and in terms of everything else that goes on around him, you never know what the hell is going to come next. And there is always something. There's always something that's going to keep you watching. And, and I find that just enthralling and gripping and something that can't be missed. Uh, look, I, I think Sitsipas was right to an extent in the way that he called, I think it was in the press conference afterwards, he said that Kyrgios was, quote, a bully. Um, I think he is to an extent, but even more than that, I think he is, he does it 
completely to get under the skin of the opposition. And someone like Federer, someone like Nadal, um, someone like Djokovic, they don't care about that. They just get on with their own business. These other players that he comes up against, the sits of passes, um, you know, other people who have complained about him in the past, past seem to let Kyrgios get under their skin. And that is when he continues to do it. He continues to, um, you know, uh, take it to an extra level because he knows that it's frustrating his opponent. And it is hard. And I sit here and I've never had, a, I've never had that experience uh, with Kyrgios yelling mm. at me from the other end of the court. But if you can mentally get over that, and, and that's what the likes of Djokovic, Nadal, etc. do well, then Kyrgios becomes, that factor of him becomes completely minor and he starts to get frustrated with himself and then his game falls apart. So it's a really, it's a massively fine balance in terms of how you handle it. And if you handle it the right way, then, then you can get in Kyrgios's head in turn. But if you don't handle it the right way, he's going to trample all over you mentally and then with his tennis game. Speaking of handling it and, um, you know, getting on with what you're doing, Ryan Fox is certainly doing that uh, guy. Uh, second place again, this deja vu. He was beaten in the playoff a couple of years ago by Russell Knox, who sunk huge putts. This time around, uh, beaten by uh, Veronk, who uh, at least uh, beat him by three shots. So uh, in that regard, he didn't have to sit around for a playoff, etc. But Ryan Fox is going through a real purple patch here. And, uh, 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 you know, they have form players, golfers like everyone else. British Open, not far away. Seven out of... Uh Seven top tens in his last seven starts, Smithy. He's on an absolute tear at the moment, and I made this prediction this morning, and I'll do it again. Uh, I think Ryan Fox will win a major in his career. He's got the game. Uh, if he can put that together for four rounds, he is a major championship cap- uh, capable golfer. Um, I, I think he's he's in the, the most exciting form we've seen from a New Zealand golfer, uh, barring Lydia Ko perhaps for some time. Uh, it's superb to watch. He's probably deserved one or two wins in the last few weeks to go with his win two or three months ago. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Get on board. Watch him at St Andrews because I think that course will suit him superbly and I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe not there, but uh, as I say, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ryan Fox winning a major title at some stage in his career. Oh, interesting. Well, if we do... Yeah. A good bloke too, Brad. You're right, isn't he? He's, uh, he's, he's terrific with yeah. the media too. Yeah, he's just a nice guy. It's great to see nice guys rewarded in sport. Uh, and I, I'm with I'm with Guy. Like I'd love to see him win a major. And I mean, like uh, the last three or four years, right? It's been a Ryan Fox story every sort of six or seven tournaments. Now it's a Ryan Fox story every weekend, and that shows that he's in form. We saw that with Michael Campbell in the lead up to his great form. Uh, when was that? 2005, 2006. And uh, look, I, I think Ryan Fox has 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 a great chance of 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 you know, achieving greatness and winning a major. That would be amazing for New Zealand golf. Uh, just on to uh, my racing, uh, two fellas, before we finish. Uh, Scott McLaughlin uh, wins his second uh, IndyCar race of 2022. I mean, we'd be talk- we would be thinking we'd be talking about Scott Dixon uh, all the time, but the Scott McLaughlin so early on, just his second year in, uh, Brad, uh, it's amazing performance. Yeah, and if he'd had a bit more luck this season, he'd, he'd still be at the, the top end of the championship. I think he's uh, jumped up to seventh now, um, and because there's, there's a lot of congestion in that ladder, 
Uh, he's still a, he's still an outside chance of, of, of winning the championship without a, a runaway leader. I think, you know, Scotty Dixon's right up there still, still because he's Mr. Consistent. But, you know, um, I think looking back, Scotty Mack uh, will regret his uh, two weeks at Indy at the Indy Grand Prix in Indy 500 where he was on for podiums and uh, he made mistakes in both those races. But, uh, look, he's showing his class and uh, he's going to, I think, he's going to dominate that series um, in the years to come. Won't be this year, might not be next year, but the year after that, once he finds his feet, works out all these tracks uh, and works out oval racing, uh, he he will uh, he'll be the total package when it comes to any car racing. He's just he is such a talent. It's uh, it's crazy. We've got two of the very best drivers in the world racing in that series, and also you know I think Shane Van Gisbergen could do the same thing if he wanted to. Uh, he he is as good as anyone in the world. So uh, we are we are privileged to be in a golden era of New Zealand motorsport. And sure, it's a golden era of New Zealand sport in the last three to four days. Uh, if you can put four days into one era, thank you very much to uh, Guy Havelt and to Brad Lewis uh, for your reviews, reflections on uh, what happened over the weekend. Top stuff, fellas. Uh, appreciate it. We'll have another panel tomorrow morning at uh, around about uh, 20 past 10. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, Jim from Tamuka's come in this morning. Congrats to uh, Foxy and Ireland, the All Blacks and the Warriors at home, and to the fans who fronted eye-catching questions you asked Coach uh, Foster during your interviews for the Yellow. My eye-catching question, I think, was uh, around about uh, Scott Barrett because he was the, the selection that everyone was talking about in the media and on Talkback during the week at number six. And, of course, he fronted up for Ian Foster, and Ian Foster was pretty thrilled about his performance, justified that selection. Uh, there was a worry that uh, Scott Barrett may have uh, to face a judiciary over um, a clean-out that he had on Peter O'Mahony uh, in the 74th minute uh, of that victory by the All Blacks uh, at the weekend. But uh, word has just come through that he's free to play for the remainder of the Ireland series. The siding officer had until around 1 o'clock uh, local time on the night of the test match. So that's what's happened there. Uh, they hang around, they hang around uh, in, in the video trucks, etc. at Sky, and they wait to see if they've got any communication because uh, they have to provide the, the evidence, of course, for any request. Uh, and that wasn't forthcoming. And at 1 o'clock the following morning, uh, when uh, the deadline finished, they still had no request. So uh, he's OK to play. And that, uh, at the time, referee Carl Dixon said, I thought it was just on the body with no arm. So he kept his cards in his pocket. And one of the other great uh, aspects of that test match in the last two games of rugby, of course, as we've talked about, the officiating. 10.52 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Just past me is right to the outside. It's starting to come after them really quickly. Very flash kick on over on the inside, starting to lift as well. Really good finish here. Just ask me. 100% for the day for Shake El Shirok. Shake El Shirok? What's that about, Louis Herman Watt? Oh, well, he's the man with all the money, isn't he? The great man from the Taranaki. <laughs> Shake El Shirok. Gee whiz, if he's a winner, he can find it. Man, I mean, he's an excellent trainer. And we know this because his strike rate is always top five year in, year out. He's a group one trainer. 
He keeps his team small, and when he takes them to the races on a Saturday, watch out. Just ask me, though. Quite amazing, Smithy. Under 58.5 kg, an apprentice, a four-kilo claimer, needed every one of the kilos, but then not really. He's a funny horse to ride, but once he leveled out, he's a rocket ship. So, Sheikh El Sharok, he's just the master, isn't he? So, if he's uh, if Alan Sharrock is Sheikh El Sharok, what is Bruce Sharrock then? Because he's his boss. He's everybody's boss. Well, I guess he's CEO of the kingdom. <laughs> he's, 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 the, he's running the cutter. He's the X's and O's and the dollars and the cents. And, um, yeah, look, it's a great family, isn't it, down there at the Taranaki. And we speak a lot about, them. obviously, Tony Kemp's connection to uh, the Taranaki, Smithy. And um, no, they're just so happy to see, just so, so happy to see Alan getting these winners in winter. And watch Darcy LaBella. I think she could be a Tarzana horse, mate. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that, uh, Louis. And uh, uh, just before you go, uh, very quickly, McDougal, Nelson, dominant. Oh, and the Cossack, 73, don't mind me. Sean Phelan, just as good, just as dominant. What a jumps rider, what a lethal combination. It's just a pleasure to watch. It absolutely was, uh, and good luck to their success. The season, the, the jumping season is theirs. It really is. Uh, Amazing, amazing, uh, the, the stable at this stage. Uh, right, we're going to talk to Honey Hiramis Smiler after the break. Um, rugby league caller extraordinaire, making history as well. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we've uh, talked about it uh, all morning as uh, the weekend that we were all looking forward to, particularly uh, rugby and rugby league fans, and it simply did not disappoint, did it? Uh, amazing scenes at Eden Park Saturday night, amazing scenes yesterday at Mount Spart Stadium. Just uh, brilliant, wasn't it? Um, uh, just to see the Warriors back uh, on New Zealand soil. And right in the middle of both of them, of those uh, occasions, was uh, one... Honey Hirami Smiler, of course, uh, she created history yesterday by being the first woman to ever uh, call an NRL game. Absolutely outstanding. And, of course, uh, part of the panel, too, uh, before, during and after the Test match uh, at Eden Park. Honey, uh, busy weekend for you, but uh, a really thrilling one, I, I imagine. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Oh, Morena Smithy. Yeah, thanks for having, uh, having me. Yeah, absolutely busy weekend, but... Uh you know, as I reflect back on it today, I just think far out. How how awesome was it? Both atmospheres and just just having that live sport back in New Zealand and full stadiums. Uh, I would, I feel really grateful to be have to have been part of both of them. Honey, can we start with uh, the rugby first because it happened first? Uh, what did you make of that All Black performance uh, and the and the counter punch from Ireland after half time? Yeah, exciting. It was a, it was a good test match, really. I think. Um, there was a lot of pressure on the All Blacks and, and there was a lot of things, I suppose, as fans, we, we really wanted to see see them do and, and I thought they really achieved that. Um, I was obviously walking back to the car after the game uh, with uh, Kieran, Kieran Reid and I think you, know, you could only really pull positives out of out of that game and I thought Ireland was strong and, I, and I'm, I suppose, even probably more nervous going into the next Test match down in Dunedin because you know that there's going to be some backlash for this for for Ireland, but I think across the board it was a really good game of rugby. 
Yeah, I think it was too. And I, as you say, I, I mean, I can't wait for the next two ones as well. Uh, they, they should be uh, simply outstanding. It had been a thousand days, though, in terms of league, uh, just over a thousand days, honey, since we saw the Warriors back on uh, home soil at Mount Smart Stadium. And uh, you were there uh, calling it. First of all, the experience of calling a rugby league and NRL game, the first woman to do so. Uh, how did you feel about that? Uh, in all honesty, Smithy, a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure. I know they, um, uh, you know, the boss at Sky, he pitched the idea to me well, probably well over a year ago, and I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. And then obviously we didn't have the Warriors home for a thousand days, so then it kind of... Uh, sort of, I suppose, wasn't really in my mind until all of a sudden they were coming home and they're like, are, you, are we still going to do this, honey? And I thought, oh, yeah. And I wasn't aware of the history initially that there was no other woman that had actually called an NRL game. So that kind of added a lot more pressure. But I, I kind of went into it, um, you know, I suppose just with some genuine, genuine self-belief and, and really trying to, I suppose, talk myself up. And I suppose I'm in a, in a lucky position that I get to work alongside the likes of yourself and, and TJ and Marshy the night before and just learn from you and listen to you and week in and week out. So um, just being able to learn from uh, the team at Sky Sport and, and being amongst you know a whole range of, of our team there is, is a really privileged position and I, I just hope that I did the, did the, uh, did the job justice. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that uh, that will be the the case, honey. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, um, uh, I think you're going to be doing a lot of games. It's as simple as that. And uh, I congratulate you for that. I mean, what was the experience like? Uh, first of all, at ground level at Mount Smart, and then uh, as you look down from up in the commentary box, uh, that atmosphere we'd been craving for so long. How special? Yeah, I mean, we, when we're down on the field, right for the for the pre-show. The atmosphere was just amazing. That there was, it was singing. It was, it was a very different uh, feel from the week before when we'd done the Tonga Kiwis game, and, and that was a pretty impressive atmosphere as well. But you could just feel like this real sense of people just so happy to to see the boys in person, to be there, waving flags, and just everyone was on a really good vibe. And and then once we got up into that commentary box, actually my, my initial feeling was I was puffed out because getting up those stairs is, is pretty uh, <laughs> is pretty hard work. Um, but once once up there and we settled into the game and, and working alongside the likes of uh, Glenn Lamar and uh, Monty Beetham, you know, they just made me feel comfortable and, and I suppose got me in early, sort of got, got me ticking over early and then as we settled into the game, it always makes it a little bit easier when you know uh, the team, the whole team are playing so well and I thought that the Warriors played so well yesterday. They did, on the back of some uh, leaders in the group uh, standing up, particularly uh, Tohu Harris scoring that first try to get the crowd really in behind them. Oh, yeah, Tohu, he's, he's so, I would say, such an underrated player. You know, he's, he's the ultimate professional and you don't hear a lot from him, but it's what he does out on the field, I think, why he holds so much mana amongst the team and amongst, in and around the club. But I think, you know, just alongside Tohu, the likes of Adam Fanua, Blake, Blake uh, Sean Johnson, um, and even young Chanel Harris-Tavita out the back there. I mean, he's, he's fairly experienced now, and I thought he did an outstanding job to cover that position last minute and how heavily he, involved, he was involved in the game. It was, just a, it was just, I think, for the first time you saw a complete, uh, a complete team performance from the Warriors. 
A lot of people have been saying about Sean Johnson, it's, not, it's like he, he doesn't want to be there. He certainly doesn't want to be part of the defensive line. You know, he's not making those decisions that, that they brought him to make. Uh, but what about yesterday? That, that, was a, that was the old Sean Johnson, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I think Sean struggled a little bit with his form, being away from his family. Uh, for so long, and you've got to remember he's got he's got a young family there, and um and he's been very vocal vocal about it, you know, through these weeks leading up to this. But you know, you you can't discount what family does do for you, and and just that being able to come home, sleep in his own bed, you know, wake up next to his baby and things like that, it does wonders for for the mind and and the spirit, and so then. The footy ends up looking after itself, and you know you sort of saw glimpses of of the old Sean, like you mentioned yesterday. You could see he just wanted to be out there, and you could see the smile on his face. You could see the smile on all the players' faces, and they really felt like they were home and they were comfortable, and they were there to play. Honey, one of the big issues uh, for the Warriors has been the fact that they just leak tries, they leak points. We spoke to Justin Morgan, the assistant coach, earlier last week. Uh, and he said they, they just needed simply to be better communicators and defence, better organised there. Uh, they they, uh, they kept, kept a clean sheet yesterday, so quite clearly, uh, OK, it's the West Tigers. They'll get bigger tests than that. But uh, it looked a lot better from your point of view? Oh, it was outstanding defence. I actually thought the defence was what... Uh was was the I suppose the biggest highlight of the game, and you could see just the desperation and everything that they were doing um, out on out on that field and and defence. It's like they just went out there and and because they looked after the the defensive side and, and a lot of that goal line defence that they did, you know there was a number of sets that the Tigers threw at them and they just did not let them uh, you know break that line. I, I thought that that was really the heart and soul of the Warriors and as they continue to work on that defence, their their attack comes naturally to them and they seem to be it be I suppose energised from those defensive efforts. I think one of the uh, best things that would have come out of uh, yesterday's performance, not just the win, I think the experience, because we're hearing, and we've seen it a lot uh, with the Warriors, with uh, coaches and, and senior players, Honey, some of the Australian ones uh, have not really wanted to come and settle in New Zealand. They don't really want to make New Zealand their home, but, uh, you know, for the likes of the, the Wade Egans, the Josh Currens, you know, the Reese Walshers, etc. of the world, experiencing that, experiencing that and seeing that just might influence them a wee bit more and some others. Oh, to be honest, I think it'll be a bit of an awakening for a lot of them. You know, last night um, in the post-show, you could see the players going around the field. And Josh Curran, for example, he's a fan favourite. You know, he couldn't get back into the changing room because the fans were just calling out to him. So I don't think they realise how much support they actually have here and how well-known they really are. And even though it's their first time in New Zealand, the, the Warriors fans absolutely loved them. Wade Egan couldn't get out of the crowd. Uh, Josh Curran, even young Freddie Lussick, you know, is only, he's a fairly new to the team. But the players, the fans, sorry, they knew who these players were. Young Ronald uh, Volkman was out there just smothered by fans. And I think that's going to really uh, play a big part in them, uh, I suppose, feeling that sense of belonging, not just to the Warriors, but to New Zealand and hopefully wanting them to, you know, come over and settle here um, and really kick off the, you know, 2023 season, feeling like, you know, that, that New Zealand will be their home and that New Zealand and, and Kiwis um, 100% have their back. Well, one of the favourites uh, for the crowd, of course, so recognisable, uh, Bunty Afoa, 100th game for the Warriors. That was uh, quite a special moment. 
Oh, yeah. Bunty's such a great guy. He's so humble and, and quiet, but he just goes about his work. And it was so special for him. You know, he, he comes from a family, I think, of about 10 siblings. And um, he only had 20 tickets and apparently needed another 40 or 50 more to get his whole family in there. And I think I mentioned in commentary yesterday, it's, it's one thing that these players had just been away from as in their immediate families and, you know, maybe their partners and, and their children. But a lot of these players, you know, they're very young. They're 20, 19. They don't have partners and children. So it was actually they were missing that link in terms of their extended family, you know, their grandparents, their parents, uh, their cousins, brothers and sisters and the likes. And so to reconnect there, I think, just just fills the soul for them. And then, uh, and then as I mentioned, then the footy just comes so much easier. Okay, let's uh, uh, look perhaps at the effect it might have too on uh, the Warriors and uh, perhaps getting a team into the uh, NRLW. So uh, the women's side of things, was uh, it's a very abbreviated season, but it, it appeared to be very popular, honey. Uh, how important now on the back of that kind of support to see double headers involving uh, the, the women's Warriors team? Yeah, look, I don't think it's on Warriors cards for uh, 2023, but I know that there is... Um, there is talks around a long-term plan around 2024. Obviously, the competition of six teams now goes to 10 teams next year and then maybe extend out to 12. And I'd love to see the Warriors really uh, rebuild that uh, Warriors women's team. I mean, they had they had success in that team and they had some great players. And I'd love to see just that pathway for young girls in New Zealand a lot more clearer because there are, you know, it's still Warriors are still the first choice for most Kiwis uh, whether they're uh, female or male, um, that, that's, their, that's their club, that's their home club, and that's who they want to play for. And, uh, you know, I think back to last weekend, they had the Māori Rugby League tournament, and they had 40-something girls' teams there, under-14s, under-16s, under-18s. So over 700 players showed up in Rotorua, female, young girls, all ready to play rugby league. So it's that generation that I hope in two years' time they can put on a Warriors jersey for the NRLW. Yeah, it's certainly uh, promising on, on those numbers alone, honey. There's no doubt about it. The other thing uh, that came through good news was the NRL have announced they'll finally bring their pre-season All-Stars fixture to New Zealand with the Indigenous and Māori All-Stars clashing in Rotorua next year. Um, that's good recognition. Oh, yeah, and, you know, you've got to give credit to New Zealand Māori Rugby League, what they've been doing for years now, for years now, running their tournaments, uh, their Tuakana, Taina tournament, uh, seniors, juniors. They've got a great team, a great board, and they continue to put on these tournaments. They probably have the biggest rugby league tournaments in New Zealand. Um, and they're, they're tournaments that we all grew up playing in, right? So I, I played in my first Māori rugby league tournament as a young 15-year-old for my iwi. And it just, it just, I think, you get that connection back to your iwi and you get to play alongside your cousins and the likes and against them and all of that. But it's, it's been, I suppose, a real um, trailblazer in terms of that grassroots and growing the game. And then that NRL All-Stars is kind of the pinnacle of that. So to bring it back to New Zealand, I think it's absolutely about time. And also to have it in Rotorua as well, where most of the Māori tournaments um, in the past have been run. I think that's just great. Mm. I hope they get the timing right that it's just an absolute packed out stadium. Okay, so, uh, honey, the, the Warriors got to head back overseas uh, again and then they pop back to New Zealand. The next home game was on July 29th against the Melbourne Storm. We all know what happened on Anzac Day. It was uh, not a pretty sight at all. Do you think that performance yesterday can create a base so they can finish the season with some quality overall? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them get some momentum from that, that win. You know, you could see um, that, that there's definitely been some movement and there's some, been some influence in terms of Stacey's coaching there. So I hope they can follow that through. Um, you know, history tells us that we never kind of, I suppose, do too well with that Anzac test against the Storm, but we do seem to do a lot better later in the season. So I think they'll be up for it. And again, having a having a full crowd will be awesome to really bring them home. And, you know, we know the Storm are massive contenders, so it'll be a good test match for the Warriors. Just looking at uh, the other side of it, uh, the, the Panthers, 26 over the Roosters, 18. They look, they almost look uh, unstoppable, honey, when it gets uh, to this part of the season anyway. So... What do you think? I mean, if you had to pick one, uh, are they your winners at this point? Uh, the Panthers, hundred yep. percent, they are. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're just they're in red hot form um, across the board. It's just they're just absolutely talented and skillful, and the things that they uh, the the way they're taking the rugby league in the NRL at the moment, I don't think anyone's catching them. Okay, honey. Hey, well, for, uh, again, congratulations on a great call yesterday and uh, your great work with uh, the rugby as well. Uh, such great all-round knowledge. I mean, uh, do you ever talk about anything else in the house apart from sport? <laughs> yeah, we talk about our puppy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Okay. Uh, always a great leveller, I think, puppies. Always a great leveller. Um, honey, fantastic. Great work. Uh, and uh, thanks very much for your time on the show this morning. Catch up soon, eh? Thanks, Smithy. Cheers. And honey, you had me smile there. Uh, immensely talented uh, uh, young lady because, of course, she's able to cover a lot of bases from Sky's point of view, and she did cover two very big bases in uh, 24 hours. Outstanding all-rounder. It is 11.18 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with a few texts. We've got some, uh, some audio clips to play through, uh, a bit of cricket, a bit of rugby league. Uh, Kempi caught up uh, with uh, the CEO of the NRL. Um, so we've got uh, some little snippets to play for you in the next uh, 40 minutes or so as well. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, coming up to uh, 11.25 here on SENZ. Uh, don't forget we will at uh, 11.30 be soliciting calls for Stump Smithy this morning and you've got $100 from the TAB. Uh, up for grabs uh, a voucher there so that's uh, in around about five six minutes time we'll ask for those calls uh, in the meantime we'll stay on the the rugby league theme uh, I think as well because uh, Kempe uh, got out and about and he was able to speak to uh, Andrew uh, Abdu and Andrew of course is the CEO of the NRL and uh, Kempe questioned him on a number of issues uh, next year when the Warriors are playing at home full-time are we are we looking at not only the Warriors' home games being here, but everyone else bringing their home games here and taking them around the country? Yeah. Th- it's funny. That's the first time someone's asked me that. Uh, <laughs> it's been talked about a lot, uh, but, you look, know. I think, I think I might have been asked that about 17 or 20 times today. Um, or in the last <laughs> no, look, a couple of aspects to that. One is, I mean, what can people expect next year? Well, first of all, Mount Smart is back as a fortress. Uh, and what you're seeing is the, um, the X factor that a team gets from playing at home. So there's no question the Warriors 12 home game is going to be pretty special here next year because the fans have signalled their intent to turn this into an impenetrable, impenetrable fortress as a home venue. But of course we want to 
invest in as much rugby league as we can uh, in New Zealand. New Zealand's incredibly important um, when we think about not just the NRL, but we think about rugby league in this part of the world, Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific. So uh, pre-season games, I think you're going to expect to see more pre-season games here. Uh, tomorrow we're excited to talk about um, uh, expanding uh, th- that pre-season presence here in New Zealand. Uh, and of course, we will work with clubs. Uh, to see if we can relocate games here. That's complex, it's difficult to do, um, but we'll look at it. And then last weekend, it was pretty special seeing um, the test match return here um, between Tonga and and New Zealand. And of course, we've got, and the commission is right behind uh, the international game, revitalizing it. And so if you think about a season, you've got 12 home games, sure, but there's content at the start of the season and then there's content at the end of the season. So we're talking about a full calendar of, of live rugby league content here in New Zealand. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. And he did get asked that question, I'm sure, a lot. Uh, because it's been so long since uh, we've had access to any action, but we've had any access, of course, to officials around that action as well. But Kempi didn't stop there. You've got that model working so well over in Australia currently, yet we can't coach our coaches here in New Zealand because we don't have the development pathways to allow them to do that. You've got 500 kids every year leaving the country. For the Warriors to succeed, that really needs to happen tomorrow. What's the plan, the long-term plan for Rugby League in New Zealand from the NRL's perspective to make sure we don't lose that talent pool? Because you know, you know who's knocking on the door. Mm. Rugby Union, AFL, yeah. and every other overball sport that can get these players. So what's the time frame around that? The time frame is immediate. I mean, a, g- a good example of that, I mean, there's things that we can do straight away and then there's things that are going to take a while for us to get the foundations right. But a great example of that for when, when NRL clubs come to play their away game here is the involvement of the coaching staff and the players in investing in the community and, and, and the grassroots clubs. And we saw that actually um, happen uh, with uh, Brett Kamali and the Tigers uh, running a, a coaching clinic with local coaches here in Auckland. It's just a small example of what we need to do more of and we need to do it in a, in a, in a very organised way way um, and the answer is uh, working together to identify where the gaps are and then really getting in behind that and coaching is one example uh, academies uh, for development of referees and match officials academies for the development of players academies for the development of of coaches and really using uh, the elite players and uh, former players to make sure that they are coming back and investing back in the community. Um, now, we, we don't have it all worked out um, in New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, but now is the time to get organised. And we're excited about ways in which we can get rugby league played in schools, uh, how we can help clubs grow, grassroots clubs, um, and, and not just here in Auckland, but of course across the entire country. And ultimately, uh, we want to build that pathway where we have... Um, uh, those players aspiring to play for the Warriors men's or, or, or women's team in the future. And just finally, Kempe uh, asked uh, Andrew Abdu um, the possibility of an 18th team coming in. First, first things first, right? We've uh, Next year for us is about uh, getting to 17 men's teams with the Dolphins coming in, making that successful. Uh, and then, of course, our women's competition going from six to 10 teams and making that successful. Uh, the, the growth of the women's competition is incredibly important for us. And we want the Warriors back in the NRLW as soon as possible. Um, and ultimately, uh, yes, uh, you know, going to 18 teams allows us to have an extra match 
allows us to have a rivalry here mm. in New Zealand. Um, mm. That's exciting. Of course, that is, uh, that, that's, a, that's a possibility down the track. We've got more work to do on that. Um, that's not something that and, – and the conversation we had earlier is linked. Like the investment in participation and pathways 100%. and developing talent is all linked. And yeah. you want to build to the opportunity to have that, that – you know, a pathway where you might have two elite teams here um, in, you know, that, that, that you could play for. Um, would be crazy not to consider another team here, but we are some, you know, we're, to be realistic, we're a few years away from uh, having a, you know, looking at that in detail. Mm. Um, but first things first, we've got to make sure that we, uh, w- we get next year right and, and, and the years that, that follow in terms of the foundations for rugby league in New Zealand more broadly. Interesting thoughts there from uh, the CEO of the NRL, uh, Andrew Abdu, uh, with our very own Tony Kemp uh, when he caught up with him at the ground yesterday. Right, it's uh, 11.30 here on SENZ, and uh, we've now got a chance for you to ring up. Uh, dial 0800-1508-11. Chance to stump Smithy. 100 bucks, 100 bucks from the TAB in terms of uh, vouchers for you to start the week with. Here's uh, Aroha with the 11.30 update. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right. We're in for another week. Pad up and grab your bat. It's time to get stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And uh, producer Logan back in the chair, Smithy, after a few days off, I finally have my voice back. Well, it's important if you're going to be a quiz master that you have a voice, you know. So that's why we put you on the bench. Uh, no, no, no voice, no quiz, I'm sorry. No voice, no quiz. Uh, and today, the exciting thing is that we had some success. Some success on Friday in terms of a stumping, which means we've got 100 bucks. 100 bucks today up, Logan. So uh, I think the lines were pretty furious there to begin with. Oh, they sure are. They're still going, to be fair. That's right. $100 TAB bonus beer up for grabs. It just goes to show Smithy. Uh, stumping them on the final delivery of the week. You can't underestimate our man behind the wickets. Now, joining us at the crease first up, we have Hayden from New Plymouth. Come in, Hayden. How are you going? We're pretty cool, Hayden. We're all set to go. What are the categories uh, today for uh, Hayden? Uh, for today, we have netball at the Commonwealth Games, soccer, football, and the All Blacks. Take your pick, Hayden. Oh, I'm going to go All Blacks. All right. Fitting. Very fitting because uh, these questions are all about All Blacks v. Ireland. We'll see how you go. Good luck, Hayden. And, of course, Smithy. First up, the All Blacks in Ireland have met 33 times in their history. How many games have the Irish won? Um, three. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Very confident there on the first delivery, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. Dead on. And they've all come of late, too. They've all come of late, so um, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, good knowledge, uh, Hayden. Question two, please. Question two. Which All Black has the honour of being number 1200? Uh, it's got to be, I'm guessing it's got to be one from the weekend. Um... It's got to be, yeah, it's either Peter Gus or... Who's the other one? Um, pressure's on. The pressure is on. <laughs> 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 I 
I can I can hear Smithy cracking his knuckles. He's ready to go. Do you have an answer for us, Aiden? <laughs> I got this. I got this, oh, Aiden. From, from, from Taranaki, you'd have to go Peter Gus, but it's probably the other, other one. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Line it up, Smithy. It was Lester Fanganuku. You went far away, though. Absolutely right. Uh, and he'll always be 1 2 1. Well, Peter Gus saw a cooler, but unfortunately for Hayden, uh, not for you today. But um, Barrett boys representing Taranaki well at the weekend. They play pretty well, all three of them, eh? Yeah, yeah. Scott was impressed with Scott. Really played well, eh? And Bodie. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, I, I really trust. Um, I really trust Geordie with the with the boot as well. Uh, the goal kicking seems assured. We don't even talk about it anymore when <laughs> when Geordie's in the team. Hayden, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your call this uh, this morning. Uh, better luck next time, as they say. Who's next? Who's next? Coming up to the the uh, to the stumps, we have show favourite Ed from Tulliga Bay. Hey, <laughs> 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 uh, g'day Ed, uh, Morena to you Listen, I, I, um, I got your text this morning I was just going to answer it actually If you hadn't called through uh, Ray Falcon of course, a hard bro- I never really knew, uh, knew, Ray, knew Ray Falcon as such But I, I followed his rugby career Man, he was a hard bruising number 8 for Hawks Bay For all those years, playing in Clive I didn't realise he was your coach There you go Yeah man, he got me to go play for his multi team With old Norm Hewitt Wow. Really? Well, you must have some ability. Yeah, we, we, we find out more about you all the time, brother. Oh, yeah, just a little bit. No one else knows, but I'll let you while it's know. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Okay, let's hope you know a bit about the All Blacks because you've got 100 bucks up for grabs here, and I'd love it to go to Tolaga Bay oh. if you can get it right. Question? Man, I wanted the nipple. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, mate. That's not how the game works. Last question for <laughs> I you. I know, I know, both. <laughs> Last question for you. <laughs> Bundy Aki, which Irish club did he sign with in 2014, saying goodbye to the Chiefs? Monster. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, I mean, Munster's a good Munster guess. When you, think, when you think Irish rugby, right, you'd probably think Munster. Smithy, do you have this? You could also, you could also think Leinster, but I don't think it is Leinster. I don't think, because I, I, I went through all these guys uh, one by one because uh, the balance of the team was a, a crazy. Leinster months, the starting 15, but there were other players in the reserves, which was Bundy Arke's uh, job at the weekend to come off the bench. And some of them played for Ulster, or one or two played for the Ulster, and one or two played for Connaught, Connaught, C-O-N-N-A-C-H-T. And I think that that's where Bundy Arke headed from the Chiefs. Say it's I'll really. go Connaught. Connaught. Just a yeah. couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. Oh, top man, Smitty. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha, Ed. Gotcha, boy. Uh, so continue to ring me. up, though, mate. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Oh, Don't good. you worry. Uh, all good, man. We'll get you next time. You're a great character. I love talking to you and uh, getting your texts. So keep them coming in. That's Ed from Tolaga Bay. And the great news is, uh, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but it's certainly uh, it is uh, Connaught, I think. Uh, anyway, and that's where Bundy Arkey uh, went straight to. And uh, just uh, the, the Munster Leinster dominance of that 15 was quite incredible. Just uh, And you can see why the, where the combinations come from because they play so closely and so often uh, together. 
Good news is, for those people that tried, it didn't go today, and it's 150 bucks tomorrow being Tuesday. We look forward to your calls, and uh, we'll read out some texts as well when we return, and we might hear from Ish Sodi too, uh, as uh, we got hold of him uh, shortly before they headed off to Dublin for this uh, associate tour of white ball cricket, the Black Caps. With Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.44 and a uh, number of texts to read out here. First of all, uh, a question to answer. Good morning, Smithy. I missed your multi this morning. Could you please repeat? Cheers. Charlie, yes, I can. Charlie, I've gone for the Philadelphia Phillies at $1.63 to win this afternoon against the Cardinals. Cameron Norrie to beat David uh, Goffin in uh, Wimbledon's men's side of the draw, $1.44. And Elise Cornet uh, to beat Ayla Tomlinovich at $1.75. And that's on the women's side of Wimbledon. And that will come up as $4.10. The Phillies into Norrie, into Cornet. So I uh, hope that answers uh, your question there. Uh, and to, just to read out some of the texts here. Well done, the Warriors, but don't get too excited. Wests are a very poor team. And I thought that uh, myself, actually, the Warriors, when I, I saw the start of the game, I thought the Warriors blew a couple of opportunities, uh, particularly one or two out wide on the right. And I thought, uh, here we go. Uh, but the West went, uh, West side were not uh, capable of uh, coming back and putting pressure on. And so, uh, yeah, I, I won't be reading too much in terms of a comeback, but it was just the, the, the nature of the occasion that was uh, so special yesterday. Uh, nice interview with Honey. She's a lovely lady, certainly is, and very talented as well. Uh, where's Nisbo? Well, Nisbo uh, will be with you for the next two Irish tests. Uh, Tony Johnson did uh, the one on uh, Saturday, of course, and then uh, Grant Nisbo will be uh, with everybody uh, from Dunedin and then from his beloved Wellington the week after. He'll also, incidentally, I believe, uh, be on the show with Staffy this afternoon. So they're great mates, of course, used to have a show together. Uh, so we'll confirm that with Staffy very shortly. Uh, Smale and Hill should be banned. Eddie Jones, again, claims ref issues never give credit to the opposition. Well, that's Eddie Jones. Um, you know, uh, Eddie Jones uh, is very seldom beaten by anyone. England lose to people, and there's a distinct difference in that. Uh, congratulations to the ABs, the Warriors, uh, it's Craig from, uh, and uh, Israel uh, Adesanya as well, of course, that's Craig uh, from Caddy Caddy. Craig, thank you very much for that. Morning, Smithy, unable to call, but uh, people must have watched a different game to me. I've watched it twice. Rico missed two tackles, which led to tries. Sure, he made a couple of good ones, but he sadly keeps getting caught out of position, which puts too much pressure on his inside and outside defenders. Needs to sort that as soon as possible. And just remember, Ireland were held up over the line four times, convert a couple of those into tries. It's game on. A good one, but still plenty to work on, Graham. Uh, that was uh, Graham from Marlborough, formerly from Northland. Well, Ian Foster acknowledged that. He he was far from happy with the defence, actually. Uh, I, I quizzed him about it because, you know, uh, and I was alluding really to the goal line defence, and he, he basically said, well, yeah, that's true, but it was the defensive lapses earlier that cost us uh, to the point where we had to defend so bravely and stoutly on our own goal line so he was not uh, far from uh, over the moon about uh, the defensive effort from the All Blacks even though uh, believe it or not their tackling rate was 93% and they made 200 tackles and that is efficiency you would have thought uh, but not so. Uh, did you notice how often the Irish wins that the referee about decisions the English did the same? Uh, yeah interesting uh, that may be a, a bit more of a northern hemisphere trait uh, certainly they would have been, the Irish may well have been refereed by Carl Dixon uh, previously, certainly um, uh, would have had a lot, a lot of contact with uh, Wayne Barnes over the years. So that that uh, was uh, something I did note actually, but that, that quite happens to sides, particularly uh, they were questioning the, the scrum. They, I don't think they quite believed the all-black dominance at scrum time. There was a lot of questions 
uh, being asked about what happened, particularly when Omani took over. He was much more direct than uh, Johnny Sexton was. Uh, but um, Omani was very, very uh, in the face of, of the referee about the, the fact that their scrum was under pressure and they continually get penalised at that point. Was it all black dominance? They didn't seem to think so. Uh, the true litmus test for the Warriors, says Mark, is their next two games. If they can't win at least one of them, it's game over for the season. And everyone is happy they won, but look at the opposition. So another theme looking at the West Tigers. Um, getting one here from Sean. If, uh, if we all trusted the system and shut up, we'd be out of a job. We're talking about to your, um, uh, one of our callers uh, earlier on said, uh, "Let's let's get on. Uh, let's get off the back of. Um, I think it might have been Joe from Gizzy or someone else said, uh, uh, get off the back of uh, Ian Foster and Sam Kane.' Um, and uh, we, we get texts in there because it's such an emotive subject. Uh, What's well, the last guy on? Of course, you can question Foster. He has a very shaky time as an All Black coach. He has, and uh, we don't uh, we don't lose back to back games very often, and particularly to to those sides. But we did." Uh, but I think uh, they answered pretty well. And the fact that he wasn't be able to be hands-on meant uh, he's one of his roles is to make sure all contingencies are covered. And it seems with the, the amount of personalities they have within the group and we're able to bring in, uh, i.e. Mike Cron, i.e. Joe Smith, um, and you know rely on uh, David Hill was there as well. Uh, and then the, those other guys that, uh, of course, will be back on deck, uh, Peter, uh, uh, John Plumtree, sorry, and Scott McLeod will be back on deck, of course, during the week. And Ian Foster will be there in person as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's fair to say that the system uh, worked very well. Uh, Jared says, uh, what a weekend for rugby league supporters to rejoice in. And boy, the fans came out in their droves to support our teams. What a sight at the Garden of Eden and especially at Mount Smart to see the most loyal fans witness a Warriors win at home finally. I just hope the win is a vehicle to, to possibly turn the team around going forward. We shall wait and see, uh, Jared. Murray, hi Smithy, great to see a much higher intensity from the All Black forwards on Saturday. Ireland had a huge possession and territory advantage, but the All Black defence and ability to quickly take opportunities was the difference. Travelling down to Dunedin this weekend with my Irish wife, I'm sure it will be a good game under the roof. Murray, you know the conditions are going to be fantastic. You know Ireland are so determined because if they drop this one, they've lost the series. I think this is crucial. This is a big game this weekend. I'm not going myself, I'm jealous. Murray, have a great time down there with your Irish wife and enjoy the occasion. It'll be an absolute beauty. They do do a good test match in Dunedin. Uh, hi there. Talking about the older guys getting to the World Cup, I think Sam Kane is struggling the most, and Brady Retallick looks exhausted nowadays. Well, Brady Retallick physically was okay. I spoke to him after the game. He just got a poke in the eye and couldn't see out of one eye, so that was one of the reasons so he left the park, uh, which is uh, quite understandable. It gave Peter Gassau a caller an opportunity, and he took it. Um, I thought Sam Kane defensively was huge. To be perfectly honest, I think it's massive. One or two or three of the hits he made were sensational, and they really stopped the Irish in their tracks. Uh, and the side was, um, I think, well-led defensively, and uh, Sam Kane gets a, a lot of kudos for that as well. He's not a big ball-carrying number seven, is he? No, he doesn't make a lot of runs, etc. Um, but that's uh, not his role, not his role at all. all right, uh, just before we get to Staffy, um, the Black Caps headed off uh, at the weekend, and we got a quick grab from East Sodi at Auckland Airport before they left. Um, each heading away for the first time since the Teaching World Cup, how's it feel to be getting on a plane in a Black Caps uniform again? Yeah, it's obviously really exciting, you know, it always is every time you get to go overseas and represent your country, but 
been watching a lot of Test cricket and getting some FOMO, so really excited to just be out playing cricket again. Um, it's a slightly different squad with obviously um, continual kind of management of workloads and things like that. Will be uh, interesting to have a few different faces around the group. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's been some really exciting opportunities for a lot of guys playing. You know, whether it's their first couple of games or, or even some debuts and stuff. So it's really exciting. I've been alongside Michael Rippon, who's really exciting left arm leggy. So uh, we've been working together in the nets over the past week or so. So I'm really excited to, to be able to bounce some ideas off a, off a fellow leggy. Nice. And uh, just finally, obviously, you did just touch on it there, but it's the middle of winter here in New Zealand. But what kind of preparation have you been able to have before heading away? Yeah, we've been really fortunate to be. Uh, most of my training's been done at Lincoln. Um, there's been a big marquee up there, and, and we've been on grass since the season ended. So, like, I, I've been bowling on grass since June, which is been you know, pretty unique and, and great for preparation but it'll be really good to get outdoors because um, you know, the, those frosty mornings in the in the Christchurch winter um, I think a lot of people agree they're pretty painful so that was East Sodi just as he was about to hop on a plane to head to Dublin Staffy next when making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese tomato and aioli so we doubled it chicken and Macca's together and loving it Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.